0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt
3: Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Terry and Jeff. The gang's here. We made it. It's Tuesday. And uh, boy, oh boy, um, Good to be alive. Really? Yeah. Good to be alive. I'm going to just start with that because, uh, by the way, got the greatest gift ever. My son's home, hugging on him, kissing on him, served two years for the LDS Church as a missionary, and uh, now he's home. And one of the things we had to do was take him to the movie, The Greatest Showman. I think you've taken your mailman to this show, too. I've taken everybody. Yeah. You I, you talk a lot about it. It's it may very well be the best movie in the history of the world. Whoa! Yeah, that is yeah. Well, it's
4: not really a bold statement coming from you.
3: No. It, my my other favorite movie used to be Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> so,
4: it's <laughs> just uh, just for some
3: perspective. This, this seems like an improvement. I'm not a movie specialist, but uh, or expert, but definitely life changing that movie is to me and my son.
4: Oh, we listen to the soundtrack pretty much every day.
3: Do you really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've worn out my Spotify on that channel.
4: They're Do you just like, want to buy it? We're
3: no longer able to shuffle the greatest showmen.
4: I think they, they popped in and said, sir, I think you've had enough.
3: <laughs> Get a life. Anyway, uh, lots of fun, lots to cover, and um, it's just fun to, to have, because what's funny is I don't know what he knows, I don't know what he doesn't know. I'm, so I'm like, have I told you this? Did you know this happened? He's like, no, really that happened? But then I realize he only lived in Missouri. Yeah. Right? He didn't live, you know, but on no, some island in the middle of nowhere.
4: No romantic relationships? No hugging no. girls at all? Uh, no, he's hugged some girls. Hmm? hmm hmm that was great does he need to speak to somebody about that no
3: okay they were clean good hugs hmm. very neutral so um it's just fun it's fun to see all that going on but the benefit has been i've been out of the loop <clears throat> and then i've picked up jeff's
4: uh, sore throat i st- which i still have by the way do you really we're going on like a week and a half yeah so no, there might hurts. be something bigger going on here
3: it's not good and some of it is because I'm talking a lot because we have a lot of friends coming over to visit. and um, But huh, it's hard. It's hard to have a radio show and a sore throat. So we're going to let Terry do all of the talking today. Um, Terry, what, what news should we be paying attention to? The benefit, though, by the way, of being out of the loop is I haven't been watching any of the news. So uh, Scott Peterson. Hold on. You've got one, too? He's the little bit. Scott Peterson,
5: school resource officer who was armed on campus during the February 14th Parkland shooting. Yeah. Released his statement through his lawyer Monday claiming that he did nothing wrong during the attack and that he's being unfairly labeled as a coward. Mm. The statement reads the allegation that Mr. Peterson was a coward and his performance under the circumstances failed to meet the standards, standards of police officers are patently untrue. Mr. Patterson or Peterson is uh, confident that his actions on that day were appropriate under the circumstances, and that the video, together with the eyewitness testimony of those on the scene, will exonerate him of any subpar performance. The statement offers Peterson's timeline, including how he claims that he was responding to a call about fireworks. But he did he did resign, right? Well, sure. Yeah. Broward County Sheriff, uh, well, he took early retirement is what it was. He's uh, he's Mm. been a resource officer for 30 years. Uh, Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel suspended Peterson based on uh, video and eyewitness accounts of his behavior, after which Peterson resigned. uh, President Trump called Peterson disgusting for not rushing into the active shooter scene, in which 17 died and claimed on Monday that he would have entered the school without a weapon. Trump said he would have? Yeah. He told the governors... Without a weapon. The governors uh, were having... They have a convention in D.C. And they were in a meeting with Trump. And he said that he would have. The president of the United States would have ran into that
3: school without a weapon.
4: Yeah. You can't that do case. that. So,
3: Watch how interesting this is, though. So we've pretty much gone from it being the guns to the NRA to now this guy. Trump action hero. And now Trump would have gone in and done... And, yeah. But um, I guess... Why don't we just recognize that he didn't kill everybody. There's a murderer that killed 17 people. Mm-hmm. He, So we need our police better trained. Yep. We need... Uh, did you hear the woman on CNN that actually was his neighbor? That for years saw this boy yeah. kill her toads, kill, str- suffocate her dog, do all of these things, mm. called it in, and there weren't laws to do anything about it. Mm. I mean, so there's... There's a lot of There's failures so,
5: up and down the whole system. This poor guy's escaped being scapegoated. This Peterson guy didn't go in. <laughs> he said that he heard fireworks, on, and it was confirmed on the radio. That somebody said maybe somebody was shot out by the football field. Right. So he was like, okay, so the guy's not in the building. He's out by the football field. So he maybe I'll yeah. he stayed uh, in a in a position between two buildings to take up a defensive position that way. Now there was a story. Another we were talking about it yesterday, it's kind of confusing. There's other police officers under investigation that they may have not have responded mm-hmm. like they should have, but yeah. the sheriff of uh, Broward County saying those guys that's not true, we're still investigating. Sounds like know. chaos
3: was yes, going it's, on. It's there.
5: chaos. Radios didn't work at the time properly, so it's just oh, there would
3: be for, this'll
5: go on for I mean, a you long, long you'd time. love
3: to have a million heroes that run in there and start doing stuff, but You also have to understand other stories. Right. Hmm. So
5: in other news, uh, DACA is apparently here to stay for now. The Supreme Court refused to hear the Department of Justice challenge to a lower court ruling on Monday that blocked President Trump's initiative to end the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. The DOJ's request asked the court to jump ahead of the Ninth Circuit Appellate Court in reviewing the case in order to expedite the Obama-era policy. Hmm. This decision requires the government to continue the program's protections while the legal fight continues, which means that Congress
3: uh, doesn't have to deal with the deadline that was going to be in March. Which means we didn't have to talk about any of this for (laughs) the months that we've been talking about this. Right.
5: It's just going to continue indefinitely until the court decides what to do with it. Yeah. So I mean, it might be great if the legislators jumped in and solved it. But... As many places I read this morning talked about, Congress does things when there's a deadline. Yeah. Now there's no deadline, so it's okay. the can kick down the road concept. Yeah. Yeah. This won't get fixed. Excellent. <laughs> On Monday, the American Academy of Pediatrics updated its guidelines to recommend that children 12 years and older get screened annually for depression. The screening will take the form of teens filling out a self-reported questionnaire via paper or an online device, allowing them to answer questions privately. Important uh, given that many young adolescents go to the doctor with their parents in tow and in the examination room. It is a huge step not only to destigmatize mental health, but also to help address mental illness in its earliest stages, potentially easing later symptoms.
3: Um, Okay. So, only depression? That's what they're starting with, I guess. I mean, it just seems like there's just as many kids it seems like battling anxiety as depression and they tend to that, go together that may be part of it that might be an important part of it right. they also might want to look at learning abilities disabilities adhd i don't know i mean i'm just that's just a summary of just, the whole thing if we're going to be talking to every 12 year old about their mental health we ought to cover the whole gambit defiant and determined west virginian
5: teachers are we're out in force again on monday for the third school day thousands of teachers gather outside the Capitol to speak with one voice Low pay coupled with rising health care costs are making their lives unbearable. West Virginia's teachers earn an average of 45000 a year, well below the national average of $58,000. The uh, striking teachers were offered a 2% pay raise this year, uh, the first one in three years, followed by a 1% increase over the next two years. Hmm. So it's apparently not enough. Many teachers reporting resorting to food stamps welfare yeah. types, in you know, just just to get through the day and they have second jobs and it's like we're teaching your kids we're supposed to inspire people to be better but we can't because we can't get better yeah it's kind of the idea uh and so every public school in the state is closed for a fourth day oh boy there's 55 school districts nobody's in school how long do you think they can go Um, How long can the T and and the other thing is, it's against the law in West Virginia for them to strike. They could be fined, suspended or serve jail time.
3: Yeah, you know, um, this is a problem.
5: And the governor said he had a town hall type of thing. And he was sitting up in this chair on a stage. And he's like, there's not much we can do for you. (laughs) <laughs> what do you want me to do what do you want me to do so yeah just, there seems to be an impasse wow and you start thinking about you know parents need to go to work but their kids are home normally at school yeah. you know, so the stress is like all through the whole society in West Virginia Oh. fix it what are we doing
3: yeah something's got to be done here get on it
5: Uh, And finally, there's flooding all across the Midwest. I know. So the rising floodwaters, well, this is one story out of Kentucky. The uh, Floodwaters (laughs) over the weekend may mean headaches for homeowners who live along the Salt River in Kentucky, but to Robert Watkins, they mean something else. Great fishing weather. No way. Hmm. Watkins is making waves on social media after his daughter posted pictures of the massive 50-pound catfish he recently caught in uh, his flooded front yard. No way. (laughs) So Watkins (laughs) says anytime the river gets up to where it's at, we go out. Me and my, bu- me and a buddy of mine will go out in it, and we'll set up limb lines. We'll hang line, uh, fishing lines
3: out of the tree. They're going right? to get a gator if they're not careful.
5: Then we give it four or five hours, and we go out and run them, and we see what we got. Normally, the Salt River is good for them big catfish. We mm-hmm. do it every time the river gets up. The fish they caught was really big, 50 to 65 pounds. He goes, that scale we had wasn't no good. He said, we had a 50-pound digital scale from Walmart, but it just it just maxed out. It wouldn't go no higher. Wow. So now, the fish is tied to his porch as he decides what to do with the catch. It's alive. It's just uh, on a leash. Sounds like we're going to have a fish fry. See, this they is don't really... Eat, he goes, they don't eat the big ones. Why? Are they nasty? I don't know. They're probably dirty. Maybe it's more of a trophy rather than a... Oh, yeah. You got to mount that. Maybe it's a warning
4: sign for other catfish. He goes, in any it's event, true. he says the
5: 50-pound catfish he caught this weekend is far from the, his record. In 2011... He goes, we caught 16 of them in three days. That was bigger than that. He said, we got them up to 85 pounds.
4: Wow. This is really what's been missing from fishing for me. The, the whole not having to go anywhere part. Yeah. We don't, we don't like
3: to think of it as a flood. We like to think of it as fishing coming to your front yard.
4: That's what we need in fishing.
5: <laughs> so the, the article said the fish is tied off. It's alive. If they decide to do something with it, then they can make that choice. If not, they'll just release it, let good, it go good. back into the – because, you know, there's five good, feet good. of water in his front yard.
3: That is um, – well, he's very positive. Yes. And he's he's loving it. It's it's still flooding, right? Yes. And in all that flood water, there's a lot of weird stuff. There is. I'd be really careful.
5: Yeah. He says, though, every time it floods, the really big fish come out to play.
3: Oh, well, a lot of big things come out. Yeah, the,
5: the small ones eh,
3: – what do all think, the other animals do? I don't know <laughs> they
4: move to higher ground. I think they've even seen Goldie, the, Goldie, the, the big goldfish, the the goldfish the size of a football.
3: Yeah, that's a great show. He's still on the loose. Don't we have a? Didn't we have a movie about that? Wasn't there a trailer called? Yeah, Goldie? we'll play
4: that during the break.
3: Because it's um, I love I, I I love good fishing and I love good fish stories.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah
3: ever since I read Moby Dick,
4: I think. Before other than Dumb and Dumber and The Greatest Showman, you said Goldie was the greatest movie you'd ever seen.
3: Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't that into fish until I saw Goldie.
4: And you kind of stumbled on it by accident. You thought it was uh you thought it was a movie starring um not Bette Midler, but uh Goldie Barbara Holm. Streisand. Oh. You thought it was Goldie yeah. with Barbara Streisand. Oh
3: Babs. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be a total musical. Um, here's the deal by the way speaking of Goldie did you hear that uh, a star from the movie Clueless is now running for Congress I can guess who it is who um, I mean, I'm sure you know her name it's the
4: friend Stacy. Dash Stacey Dash
3: yep how do you know that yep Stacy Dash is running for Congress in California she's the actress and outspoken Republican who has now filed paperwork to run for California's 44th
4: District she's not Clueless but she also doesn't she have just a chance. She Plays one on television. <laughs> she just picked a bad district to run in. She's,
3: uh, yeah, she's. Hillary Clinton won that district eighty three to twelve. Yeah, for So there's a really good and chance. She's coming from she's not gonna being win a uh,
5: what a what do they call them a contributor on Fox, Fox News? Yeah, yeah. Which is going to really
4: endear her to the uh, the general public hmm. there.
3: But I mean, that's pretty gutsy, right?
4: Well, I think she probably sure. figured it's one way. Clueless two isn't happening anytime soon, so what's Plan B? I I don't know that I saw Clueless. Really? No, I feel like I live it. It was kind of a big deal,
3: was it? I don't remember it. Mm, don't worry, you didn't miss much. Um, speaking of other news, our guest today is going to be talking about um, automated vehicles, autonomous vehicles. Yes, and So – and they've actually had to start thinking about what everyone's going to be doing. While the car is driving. While the car is driving. Right. But it seems obvious to me. Sleep. Right. Sleep and Netflix. So I want to know what you guys would do if you were able to no longer have to manage your commute because you would get there safe and sound in your own car. What would you do? Because Terry's got what? A 40-minute commute.
4: Yeah. I would say read or sleep. Yeah, for that's sure. You've day. only
3: got, what, a 15-minute commute, Jeffrey?
4: If that. Yeah. So
3: you're just going to read and sleep for an extra 15 minutes. Sure.
5: Yeah. I mean, I would – right now, the driving and other things going on, you know, I got stuff playing on the radio. Maybe yeah. the window's down if it's warmer, the heat heater's on. Those things are just serving to distract me so I don't fall asleep as I drive.
3: Oh, that's comforting. Yeah. So, well, certain days.
5: Most days, not a big deal. Some days, it's kind of rough. Everything
3: that you have to do to keep the car on the road, yeah. you see really as a distraction. Keeping me awake. Keeping you awake. Yeah. Like, oh, another car. Got to focus. You don't even see it as driving, necessarily. No, it's just it's trying to stay awake. It's like slapping your face. Yeah,
5: yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Hmm. Now, that's probably the wrong way to look at the commute. Oh, no, it is. But it's really what it's doing. <laughs> definitely is the wrong way to look at it. <laughs> on certain days, not all the time. So it's not completely dangerous. It's just sometimes dangerous.
3: Do you think that there will be a day in the future where someone will say, you know how to drive? <laughs> and you'll be like, yeah. Well, what was it? Back to the Future 2? He walks into a, uh,
5: the cafe and he starts playing that video game, picks up the gun and starts shooting characters on it. And the kids are like, oh, you have to play with your hands. It's a baby game. You mean Elijah Wood? Uh,
4: no, but yeah. that's who it was. The great. It was Elijah Wood. Um, so,
5: yeah, at some point people are like, you drive? You've done that before? Remember, uh, what was it, Minority Report? He jumped in and, like, overrode the car. It was like, oh, my gosh, he's going to drive. And he's, like, crashing another other cars because that's not what you're supposed <laughs> to. You know, it's a whole system. The car moves with every other car. Oh, this is if gonna... someone just overrides and you yeah. know, goes nuts, you're going to hurt but somebody. It's
3: going to change everything because now when you're sitting there mouthing off to your dad, He's not going to say, "Okay, I'm pulling over." He'll just turn around and start whacking you. <laughs>
5: You'll hit the button, your your chair will automatically yeah. turn, uh, Dad, <laughs> and he'll be all over you. But then there's there's some concept designs they have for these cars where there is no say front seat and back seat. You walk in and it's like a mini living room, oh, just love a bunch that. of you know couches, yeah. and recliners, and just hang out.
4: But Dad also won't be able to say, "I'll turn this car right around." I Check. don't know how easy that will be. No, Dad, it's set for Disney. So we're going to Disneyland. (laughs) Good luck. Hal will come on and say, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm afraid I can't let you do that. (gasps) Yeah. See, now that gave me the chills.
3: What happens when you're stuck in the car? Now what happens when you need diapers? You'll just send your car to go get diapers. Or,
5: as they showed at the last uh, technology expo they had in Vegas, it'll come to you. They'll have a van as a showroom for products, and it'll just show up at
4: the curb, and you walk out and make Would you your like selections. Diapers? Really, they're yeah.
3: forty-five thousand dollars. There you go. That's kind like
4: of like an ice cream truck for diapers and or other products. clothing or whatever you want to purchase. You just do it. I from mean, the how curb. many times have you just needed a little cream or a little
3: mm-hmm. sugar? Mm-hmm. And um, you had to go to the neighbors. Now you won't even have
4: to talk to your neighbors. But we can still pay $5 for the ice cream bar, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. Okay, You'll pay good. at or least more. $5. you will probably mm.
3: pay 20 hmm. Yeah.
5: It's a lot to look forward to in the future. Yeah, and most of this will not happen because it's all – I there's some polling I gave you, polling yeah. data, where yeah. slowly, as a, as a people, we're becoming more – comfortable with this concept. Yeah. But I think government won't be comfortable with this concept for quite a while. Well, I think they
3: will. I think it's so – I mean – Do you know why? It's because it's all about money. Is that what it is? So if they can start saving money, if they can start – if they can manage their maintenance of roads and lights and emergency vehicles and all of these other benefits, then – I mean, are you saying politicians are driven by money? Yes. Wow. That's really a bold statement. That's exactly. That's what I exactly. And that was, by the way, that quote was from our billionaire president. See that had no political experience, but is a billionaire. And then that gets you in. That's the thing. It's all about the money, man. Anyway, we will uh, continue the journey up next. We're talking autonomous vehicles and how they could help millions of people catch up on sleep. TV, work, straight ahead. Are you behind on your favorite TV show or work or even sleep? Well, the answer to uh, some of your problems might be uh, a few more hours a day in your car, especially if the car could drive itself. Here to talk with us more about this topic of autonomous cars and how they actually might be able to help us do a lot of things in the future that we weren't even anticipating um, them doing, Uh, here to speak with us about it is Eric Williams. He's a professor at the Golisano Institute of Sustainability at Rochester Institute of Technology. Eric, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Good morning. Thanks for having me on the program.
3: What a fun uh, job you've got, in a way, because part of what you're trying to do is, is just think ahead and start you know, creating um, models and plans and research about what would happen if autonomous cars actually come to be.
2: Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic and it's a lot of fun to work on.
3: Do you um talk about just some of the general statistics that that a lot of us didn't realize I didn't know how many people were commuting every day and um like nineteen million people are driving two and a half hours a day on their commute and seventy eight million are driving an hour a day a lot of people are losing time in cars
2: yeah uh, that was that was a surprise when we did the study, and that you know certainly you hear the stories of, of you know some people driving a lot per day, uh, but the statistics from the it's the federal government statistics are saying it's really people are driving a lot, and twenty percent of all the workers are driving. Their average driving time is two and a half hours a day, and some are driving even more.
3: Mm. Talk about the research you are doing, and um, and, and what you're trying to what you're trying to figure out, right. So,
2: uh, I mean, the, the backdrop here is that you know, technology is changing our life, and if we think about uh, information technology, cell phones and Netflix and such forth, they really made a big uh, effect on our daily lives. And autonomous vehicles uh, look like they're going to be a thing. And if you think about it, that could have really massive effects on how we, you know, how we choose to live our, our – uh, choose our daily activities. So, uh, so for example, I live in Rochester. It's about a six-hour drive from New York City. I'd, I'd love to go to the National Museum of Art, uh, the Met, uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art. Right. But um, it's a six-hour drive, and you have to go through New Jersey, which is a terrible drive. And so uh, we don't do it very often, about once a year. But if I could have an, if I had an autonomous vehicle, just go, you know, go, hop in the car in the evening, wake up in the morning in New York City, and be at the Met. So that would be, that would be awesome. Uh, so we're really trying to get at these, you know, start thinking about these very you know, challenging and interesting questions about what, what, what might autonomous vehicles, how, we, how might we use them to, uh, in our lives? And so uh, this is just the first step. And our first step we're thinking, okay, who might be the, the, the people today, the early adopters who, who first buy autonomous vehicles, what might they want to do with them? And so I thought that one group of people might be the people that spend a lot of time in the car. Uh, because the more time you spend in the car, we're you know, spending time in the car better with, you know, with the IT because we can listen to yeah. books and program, for example. Uh, uh, but uh, we were really trying to figure out, okay, what are these people that are driving a lot doing? Uh, uh, not What are they losing out compared to people that aren't driving as much? And so now we compared the activity patterns. There's this thing called the time use survey that's mm-hmm. done by the the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and they actually ask for people's time diaries. And so they say, okay, what time do you get up? You know, 4 a.m. What did you do? I had breakfast 20 minutes. And so they run people through an entire day. And so uh, what we can do is we can analyze those, those, those surveys to figure out, okay, those people are driving a lot. What are the activities that they are not doing in order to, to, to get that driving time?
3: Interesting. And so in that, you're you're finding out what they're doing and and um, how they're spending that time. And I guess our assumption is that they would then naturally want to do more of those things, either catch up on work or sleep or TV. Yeah,
2: yeah that's the thought. And it turns out that that hour and a half extra uh, per day of driving that they're doing is made up for, it's basically, it's, the answer is relatively simple. It's 30 minutes of Less TV, 30 minutes less work, and 30 minutes less sleep.
3: Oh, interesting. So overall, uh, if you have to commute, and that's probably something just interesting data for everyone to know. If you are a commuter, you're probably losing at least 30 minutes of extra sleep.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. I mean, this is the average number for the, you know, for that for the population that, you know, depending on who you are, you might have a different situation, a different situation. Right. Um, right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it, on on average. Yes.
3: And then so. So I guess part of this would also then impact the the design, how the federal government goes about looking at these autonomous vehicles, um, because i mean some so you're really just guessing at what we're going to end up doing with it, but something needs to start influencing i guess how they go about designing these these cars and, and the way we manage autonomous vehicles
2: yeah uh i mean certainly firm, you know and the automobile firms that are are looking to uh develop this technology are aware that you know you know of you know in general terms and i i they probably do their own surveys in some form uh but uh, but we have some some you know some I mean basically we we're, were able to leverage this database that they don't do for this purpose but um, to to suggest hey you know these you know consumers at least your initial markets those people are going to be really interested in having a car you know have a design of an autonomous vehicle that'll be very comfortable to sleep in uh, that have a good video screen for watching TV and also like some kind of keyboard thing that flips out so that you can do some work.
3: Mm. What what other things do you see the future of autonomous vehicles? Uh, being able to do for us, uh, what other uses do you see that will be um, become a, a, an essential part of that?
2: Um, well, I think that that shopping. Uh, I mean, I think you know, if we're looking at our, if we're looking at shopping that you want to go to the store and look at the products and and think of them, I think that we're still going to go to the want to go to the store for that. But if you think of the grocery shopping where you. are You know, you're getting the same things every week. Um, Why not just send your autonomous vehicle to the grocery store and have them loaded up for you? Uh, That would save a bunch of time. Uh, And also, you know, not, you know, wrestle through this.
3: Yeah, (laughs) totally. (laughs) It's
2: got a grocery store. Um, You know, I I also, I think that this whole um, recreational travel you know, both from cities to the countryside and from the countryside to the cities. Like I gave the example of going to the Met, but if all the people that are around New York City, that that you know, they probably would go a lot more. You know, like they'd see opera or jazz clubs or whatever if it were a lot easier to get in, and uh, autonomous vehicles make it a lot easier to get in. Mm. Uh, and conversely, if the city people that will maybe want to go out to the Adirondacks to go camping, well, it's it's now a much simpler thing to do so. So um, I could see potentially a huge amount of increase in recreational travel because it's easier to do.
3: Well, yeah. How how fun would that be to just be able to actually connect to your family, talk to them while you're at – and sleep and study and read and do all these other things that you love to do while you're on your trip? That'd be – That'd be a relief. Yeah, pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Does I mean I guess too, this could really be powerful stuff, I think, for the elderly, for our other industries, trucking industry. We already kind of see the power of Uber. But man, if Uber was autonomous and um I mean there's just it just seems like there's kind of no end to this future. How realistic is this and what's the time frame do you see?
2: Oh well, I think that's um you know that's that's a harder question. But I'll, I'll offer some thoughts on it. Um, so the the uh, the Tesla S, if you pay, I think it's it's actually several thousand dollars. It's as I understand, it's it's close to being a fully autonomous vehicle driving. Right. Uh, and uh, and Tesla's also talking about offering autonomous vehicle in the new Model 3, which is only supposed to be thirty five thousand dollars. And uh, and so uh, you know, thinking looking at tech. So in terms of technologically, it's looking fairly near term in terms of being available. Uh, there's a question of the price, you know, how, how more, how, what's the premium price premium you're going to have to pay for this? And I think there's also a lot of safety questions. I think a lot of people, including myself, uh, are still not sure if autonomous vehicles are going to be safe drivers. Mm. And, uh, you know, and until that really gets Sort and that and that that process sorting out that process and seeing you know, are there going to be accidents are there going to be lawsuits uh, uh, regulations about this is, is 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 that's hard to predict but I think that that's I think that that that's going to be a big factor
3: absolutely and then um, again the legislation of all of this I mean and the people who are want to, going to want to somehow make money on it the people I mean this is how we would have to change systems and structures it just seems like a lot of stuff so i mean are we thinking i mean the technology's here but then the actual ability to have everybody doing it it also seems like at some point you're going to have to have everybody on board um or Uh, yeah right because the the safety will go up it's like herd mentality or whatever the safety goes up as everyone is doing it it seems like you'd be a little less a lot less safe with people who weren't on the same system
2: right yeah yeah The Whatever, however the system evolves, it'll have to start from a few autonomous vehicles, and, you know, and then you know, and then you know, have more and more. And it'll have to, whatever the autonomous vehicles, they're going to have to deal with human drivers, which, as you point out, uh, is is more challenging for safety than having, I, I, I believe, than having you know, basically all autonomous vehicles. Yeah. But yeah, there's a big changes involved, and you know, I think it's not all. It's also some, I think, some hard changes because, you know, if you think about the taxi, taxi and truck drivers.
3: Yeah. Um that's a lot of jobs. That is a lot oh, of jobs.
2: <laughs> what 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 do those people do? It's, yeah. It's a, and we've talked a talk. lot.
3: We've talked to a few of them about how especially like truck drivers the technology would be, you know, dropping. Maybe the trucks would maybe drive maybe on the interstate autonomously, and then they'd get to pick. They'd be stopped at pickup areas where then human drivers would drive them into the cities, and that might be a bridge to how that we do this in the future. But uh, another one that you brought up in your article was about mass transit and those that ride public transit. Do you do you think that I mean eventually? Will will we just have bigger vehicles like autonomous buses that are constantly running? Or do you sense that um, more people will just, everybody will have their own cars? Or will we all be just using kind of a a green car that everybody borrows and it doesn't matter what car you have?
2: Yeah, uh, that's, that's a million dollar question I think in terms of where autonomous vehicles go. I think a, a multi-person vehicle, a multi-occupancy autonomous vehicle. Uh, Has a lot of virtues, right? It's going to be cheaper to ride in because you'll be sharing the cost with the other riders, right? Uh, It's also going to cause less congestion and less environmental impacts, so those are good things too. Uh, The thing is, is that because it's multi-person, there's also less uh, sort of less convenience, Uh, some some degree of convenience and autonomy in your own you know, owning your own uh, vehicle uh, that gets lost there. Uh, which future is it going to be? Is it going to be the future of a fleet of shared autonomous vehicles running around, uh, you know, which you hail with the Uber kind of app, or is it going to be, no, this is my autonomous vehicle, which I'm going to send it on all these errands. And, right. And, and, you know. uh, I think I, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that question. Uh, I think a lot of it will have to do with, one, the price of the technology, and two, the price of gasoline. Mm. Uh, so, uh, it's, but it, you know, if the vehicle is cheap and gasoline is cheap, um, I suspect people will, you know, at least the people that have money will buy their own.
3: Yeah, everyone will want one. Well, we <laughs> appreciate it, Eric. This is interesting insight, and uh, just keep up the good the good work. We're going to need somebody thinking about this ahead of time. Eric Williams is his name again, a professor at the Golisano Institute of Sustainability at Rochester Institute of Technology, and uh, he's doing the thinking that most of us. <laughs> just kind of dream about autonomous cars how they really could maybe be a big help for getting us some more sleep and uh you know maybe even more family time if we are able to 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 lead technology the way we need to lead it this is the matt townsend show doing what we can to help you live longer love stronger and lead a healthier life Welcome back, friends. Um, You know, there's so many things going on in the news. A lot of times you don't get to hear in-depth all of the Supreme Court news. No. But apparently there's a a big case going through the Supreme Court that could impact email. Email. So the Supreme Court today will
5: once again find itself wrestling with the balance between digital privacy and... And law enforcement. Remember the iPhone problem they had after the San Bernardino yeah. shootings? They wanted into the iPhone. Apple's like, we don't have the ability to open that up. They said, no, we don't believe you. You know, they fought back and forth. Um, so today, they'll hear an hour of arguments in Microsoft versus the United States, which is a case involving emails that are stored in overseas servers.
4: There's a chance uh, okay. that
5: your email, even if you're using, say, Google or another product other than a Microsoft email yeah. account, your email is actually stored in, like, Ireland. What? Hmm? Because of the way, you know. It's, it's just, yeah. It's just it's how just, the, It's fast. It's how you, the World Wide They web have storage works. facilities there
3: because of whatever reasons. Or it could can, easily be backed up. ...on another server in another country.
5: Exactly. So it says, if America an American email provider stores your emails on a server that is located in another country, does it have to hand those emails over in response to a warrant from U.S. law enforcement? Ooh. Hmm. Right? So the case hinges on a Stored Communications Act of 1986 in which Congress required law enforcement to get a warrant to search electronically stored communications. So yeah. you have to get a warrant. Got to have a warrant. The Justice Department argues that Congress clearly intended for companies like Microsoft to disclose electronic communications within its control, regardless of whether the provider stores those communications in the U.S. or abroad. Oh, boy. If search warrants don't cover emails stored overseas, the Justice Department argues that provides an easy path to get away with crimes, including terrorism and drug trafficking and other horrible things. Yeah.
3: Because you're like, oh, it's in Ireland. You can't touch it. So they're saying because Microsoft owns the server, it's a U.S. company, so if we serve you a subpoena to get those records, you should have to give them to us. Microsoft is saying, no, they're in Ireland.
5: Yeah, but they're saying it's within Microsoft's control, and that's what the law means. They're mm-hmm. interpreting it that way. So now, so they're going to interpret this uh, Stored Communications Act of 1986. Yeah, Does that mean what the Justice Department says it means, or does Microsoft have
3: a point? Well, and so. let's look at that, though, by the way. How many laws from 1986 would actually – really make sense in the internet world maybe that, they need probably just Mi- the law that's probably microsoft's point like yeah. we need to address this in the
5: meantime uh, the, uh, so microsoft argues the government of making a policy argument not a legal one and those decisions are up to congress not the courts they want a law, like you're saying they want a law In the meantime, it argues a ruling in the government's favor here would open the door for retaliation. If the U.S. government obtains the power to search and seize foreign citizens' private communications physically stored in other countries, it will invite other governments to do the same thing. Microsoft President and Chief Legal Officer Brad Smith wrote in a blog post, if we ignore other countries' laws, how can we demand that they respect our laws? Yeah. So this again goes back to the government is having a problem with – Addressing new technologies because the laws they're trying to use are old. Yeah, and they, you know, we're we're in such a a time of uh, cooperation, right? That uh, of course they're just going to sit down and iron out what the smart, you know, feasible way to to create a law that will, you know, uh, everyone's needs will be taken care of. Yeah, they'll just get no. into fights and no one will
3: do anything. Isn't it crazy that uh, where does this ever end? And these companies because they happen to be American. Would we want German companies accessing our records anywhere they are in the world? Nine! <laughs> what was that?
4: Nine. Just screams at you. Nine. Oh, okay. You asked a question. Yeah. I said nine. I didn't
3: know you were going to answer oh. it.
4: It was kind of a rhetorical question.
3: <laughs> anyway, it's uh, it's interesting because we're, we're all comfortable with Microsoft because they're, com- they're our company. Right. They're an American company. But a lot of these companies are moving out of country because it's expensive to have a, co- a company here. and. Mm-hmm. Do we want, you know, France right. to have access? And even that, to- because they're going global, Yeah, as,
5: they, as they're as they doing business around, around the world, they find out like, oh, we can actually build a facility here, say in Ireland, and it's cheaper. It's just cheaper. So we can build it here, and with the internet, you just connect it all, right. Right. run your fiber through the ocean as they already have it, so you can connect everything, and it doesn't slow down email. Yeah. And so they just do it that way, and they store things all over the globe, and so are you subject to... The law where you 're located or the laws of the globe- i mean how does that work yeah, and that 's really the question they 're trying to answer, and that's why we need a global czar this is where it's where people also question like is the Supreme Court i mean they're the ones that ultimately will decide the legality, yeah with, of this case, Microsoft wants Congress to actually vote on it, but are any of these people technically qualified to discuss this topic and they to all answer have this internet. question they don't know how it works they don 't know the, <laughs> you know what I mean because you sp- they have a- they have an hour
3: but yeah. Microsoft at some level has to explain how this process works but they all have an IT i mean the supreme court scotus yeah. has an IT guy jimmy should
5: they bring jimmy in to jimmy judges? the scotus
3: IT guy should he be the one that decides okay so uh justice Ginsburg, um this is <laughs> this is what it's about it's about <laughs> he has to explain it mm. yeah but think of the complexity of their job. Don't you think half the time – that's why they probably don't – they don't they don't address most of the issues that come to right. them. They're like, yeah, we're not doing that one. And some, don't you wonder sometimes if they're like, that one seems really hard to us. Nope. <laughs> that if, one's and, really and, and if another court has decided on it,
5: which they have, that's how it yeah. gets to them, they have that opportunity of allowing it to stand. Yeah, we'll just do what they said.
3: Yeah. Was that a younger court? Let's just do what they're doing. <laughs> Probably, they're, does, does that are guy they millennials? have millennials? They know what we're doing. Does that guy have his own website? Yeah, we'll let that judge take it. <laughs> I bet he's got a podcast and a blog, too. <laughs> oh, how fun. See, everybody's a little uh, confused, and the world is a little complicated. That's why we're here, to help you sort through it. We will uh, continue the fun in just a minute. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. You know, um, with the Olympics uh, winding down and all of that, now the Americans are trying to figure out what happened with uh, the dearth of medals. They just didn't quite get as many medals as they, they should have. Also, we're seeing a very similar conversation going on right here at BYUB, um, because here at BYU Broadcasting, they, they had a step Olympics. Is that what we're calling it? Yes, where uh, a group, uh, you were put on certain teams, and the teams were then supposed to uh, w- walk and gather, and everyone was supposed to work as hard as they could to get as many steps as they could. And Jeff's team happened to take the silver medal. And I was part of Team Mexico. Team Mexico. Because it's, uh, by the way, Mexico came got the silver this Is this a Winter Olympic event, or is this a, um,
4: a Summer Olympic event? This was, well, what do you think? It's winter right now, kind of. So it was a winter walking event, step yeah. event. Um,
3: so here's the deal. And we were talking about it off air, but in the end, your team was only 20,000 steps
4: behind the gold <sighs> medal winning team. That's like a couple thousand steps
3: extra it, per in a week. Really, in a way, just as somebody that walks professionally. Are you talking about yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. when I do my walking, I I get 10,000 steps a day.
4: Okay, so, so that
3: which is roughly 5 miles. Unless I fall. If I fall, then I don't get as many steps. Which tends I, to happen with mm-hmm. your grankles. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying here is your team lost by 2 walks. Yeah. And I hear just through the grapevine that you didn't contribute as much to the
4: team effort as they probably were expecting you to. Here's the thing. I sit behind a board here for 3 hours for the show. Mhm. You stand. Then I go home, yeah, and sit in a booth for the rest of the day. So I don't once I get booth. home, I don't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I did everything short of marching in place here during the show, which I I thought would be distracting and might look uh, rather ridiculous. Yeah, no, it did. And, um, but all you had to do
3: was pull your weight, just do your part and your team easily could have won the gold.
4: Well, it also doesn't help that Michael Dunn, our boss... Smoked us all with 100,000 steps the first week. It's not fun. It that, was over once that happened. It's not fair that you have a marathoner <laughs> on your team.
3: So um, – but I have talked to quite a few people around the office and they're mad. Really? Yeah. They're mad. So hmm. it's I, – I would watch your back.
4: Well – we we obviously don't dope here at BYU, but maybe there was like some sugar intake no, on no. some of the other teams. I
3: think all it was is they just needed you to pull more than a thousand steps a day.
4: Maybe they had like a, a fun dip fix at lunch, and that kind of fueled them. If you had just pulled maybe three thousand steps every day instead of the
3: eight hundred, nine hundred that you do, this could have gone a lot better for uh, Team Mexico. But we're gonna get the silver. That's still huge. Yeah, but you could have had the gold. And you know what that means? Because hmm. I don't know if they told you what the winning prize is. The winning prize, everybody gets a box of Twinkies.
4: Really? Yeah. That it, seems like it would be totally against what no. BYU Wellness is no. all about. You walk 30 steps, we give you a Twinkie. That's all it
5: takes?
3: Yep. It's that simple. See,
5: they didn't point that out when this started. It wasn't in the emails. Would it you just have said, been involved? it it makes it more attractive. Oh yeah. Cuz I mean when, before it was like let's
3: count our steps. You were thinking <laughs> really? that it was a social event that you'd have to like well, yeah, talk to like, people. Yeah, you
5: have to talk to people like they do yoga uh-huh. here in the
3: afternoons. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I'm not going to go stretch I'm doing with my coworkers. Are yeah. you? Yeah. All right. Well, they they said I can't wear my yoga pants.
4: Please. Yeah. See, you're you're probably right though. There was there was so little difference between the gold and the silver as far as the number of steps. But the quality of the prizes is probably going to be huge in the difference. Oh,
3: absolutely! Yeah,
4: they get Twinkies because they they're gold medalists.
3: You get. just they pat get have on the back. have to work overtime. Mm-hmm. Lucky, well, good stuff, folks. See, there's a lot of ways to uh, to be healthy, and steps counting your steps is one. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Your
1: guide on the side. Follow
0: Dr. Matt on Twitter
2: at DrMattShow. Call the show at
0: 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
3: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend.
3: Now
1: on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is all here for you. And today we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about how to bond with your kids. You guys, I know you want to learn this. I watched the movie Wonder over the weekend. Oh, really? Yeah. Wonderful.
4: They had
5: pool noodle lightsabers. Yeah. Dad and son. Oh, they just, fought right in the
4: living like room. Yeah. So, yeah. How old is your son? Six. Six. Is that. I have a six year old, and I've been wondering if I can show her the movie Wonder. Did he have a lot of questions? Was there a lot of discussion going on when you were watching it? A little bit. Just the idea
5: that he was like, "Well, that's mean. Why are they doing that yeah. to him?"
4: You know. And then, but I mean, at first, I mean, it's about a,
5: a boy that has some facial disfiguration. He's mm-hmm. had all these surgeries, and he's been homeschooled until like the fifth grade, and mm-hmm. then finally he goes to public school. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the story. And he and so my son's looking at it like. First off, he was, you know, what's what was wrong with his face? So we had to pause and talk about how people, That's cool. have, you know, so you have that discussion about you'll see people that are different. But that doesn't mean you need to be mean to them. Right. Right. right? And then we also paused it because there's a scene where the kids walking in and kids are like stopping and staring at him. As he walks by, like he's some sort of monster or something. And we go, is that nice? And he's like, no, don't do that. You know, and so there's all these moments where you can stop and and show your kid, this is how you're not supposed to be as a person. Don't be mean.
4: Don't, you know. And kids are very curious, too, because they'll see things like that or somebody with a missing limb and they'll say, hey, what's wrong with that person? And, you know, they're not trying to be mean. They're just that's they're curious. They're They're trying to learn. Right. And they haven't got that social I guess, yeah. awareness to understand
5: that's probably not the way to ask that question.
4: I'll probably I, show saying, it
5: to her. Saying what's wrong with your face isn't necessarily the best right, approach, right. even though I ask him that sometimes.
4: I've, I've <laughs> seen it myself, and I think it'll be okay because, you know, she just doesn't handle tragedy well, so... Yeah. Movies like Pete's Dragon, where the parents die, she gets very emotional about those types of things. Well, yeah.
3: you know what you could do, because uh, Terry does this too. Is um, the minute she gets emotional, just pull out a pool, a pool noodle,
4: yeah, and, <laughs> and start
3: late <laughs> lightsabering
4: her. Just like no crying, No crying no, for they, you. There, I mean, there. I know we we talk a lot about TV and movies on uh, on the show, but there is something too watching, and we talked about this with a guest yesterday and screen time, but. I decided the other day when when my daughter was sick, I wasn't going to go home and, you know, try to get her to do other things. She was just sitting watching TV. I said, you know what? I'm not a huge fan of Barbie life in the dream house, but I'll sit down and I'll watch it with her. Yeah. And I did, and within a minute or two, she reaches over and wraps her arm around my arm. Oh, and she doesn't do that. Cute. So see? I think it, it, that's good. it was meaningful to her that I was willing to Take spend that time. time with her. And then he yeah. followed up with a My Little
5: Pony movie made an entire afternoon out of it. Actually, my wife <laughs> no wonder took you them didn't to get
4: see that steps. one. <laughs> I missed that one. How fun is that,
3: though? That, see, that's, that's what being a father is all about. Not pressuring. So today we're going to talk about...
5: When, when my son feels bad, we watch Spider-Man and the Avengers yeah. and Star Wars cartoons. It's great. But they can become rituals. Yeah. These are rituals. Nobody watches those shows unless it's dad and son. Like, he wants to watch them. And I go, you can't watch those without me. No, this is that's our That's how thing. we bond. Yeah. It's not that dad's really interested in these cartoons,
3: but I am. This so, is how I get out of housework for two hours. Well, well That it. is... <laughs> It just, I mean, it's for a minute. It was sounding really healthy. Because then all my of a wife, sudden, it sounds less healthy. I
5: wasn't able to get to that. We were watching. He was having a bad day. We watched Spider Man. Sorry. Know? So she's like. At first, she was like, "Oh, okay, I understand." Now it's like, seriously, you have to watch your shows
4: with him. Oh, cute. The so, thing is, our, so loving our wives still find time to do all those things. Yeah, I know it's ridiculous. I, I don't understand it. Well, they're superior beings. I mean, if we're honest. Is it? Do we genuinely care about them enough that we want them to just take a rest? Or when we see them up and doing things that we know guilt. we should be doing, is yeah. it the guilt? Yeah. It's guilt. It's total guilt. Like, why don't I care more? Honey, sit down. I'll do those dishes I, I try eventually. To, I Especially sh- when
3: you're mad. Like, sit down.
5: I'll do them. I shut she, the guilt out by just thinking she could sit down if she wants to. <laughs> right? This is a choice she is making to do this. This isn't that I'm not doing enough. She's just doing too much. Oh, wow. You need to sit down. Take a load off for a
4: second. Yeah, but okay. then she'll put that to the test when you say things like, uh, when, when she says, if I don't do it, it won't get done, and you say, oh, that's not true, and then she tests you on it, and it's definitely true.
5: Hmm.
4: Well, you, you know it's true. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't admit it.
3: That's crazy. It works
5: against you if you do. So...
3: so um, that's, you know, it's interesting. I miss one day hmm. because Jeff infected me with uh, some plague, a throat plague. Hey, I'm, but
4: at least the leprosy has gone.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not scaling. I don't have the scales anymore. Um, but uh, I miss one day and then all of a sudden you guys have these profound conversations. Right. I didn't know that's what was going on when I'm not here. I don't know if they're quite profound.
4: No, we we talked a great deal about... Telemarketers, you know the robocalls oh, yeah. that now do not give you the option to opt out.
5: Yeah, I had another one yesterday. You have been named in a lawsuit. Call this eight hundred number now. <laughs> what? What?
4: Well, hold it. What? <laughs> Click. What are you? What? You don't. You're not notified by robocall. Yeah, <laughs> you've been named in a lawsuit.
3: That's kind of. Too
5: bad. Yeah, yeah. The guy was very good at his he trying to sound like it was a, an emergency
3: situation. You if, must really listen to me. If you need, uh, I don't know if you need it, but if you need a, if you need a lawyer, I mean, maybe I could, I could help you. I could. I've got friends. You've got
4: people. Yeah. We've, we've got, got uh, we've got Pepillon, Pepillon and Liebuvitz oh, yeah. on our side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, want to uh, go a different direction? <laughs> He's totally anti-French.
3: Okay. Well, um, while we're at it, let's get to uh, the news. What what else should we be paying attention to?
5: Georgia's Lieutenant Governor Monday publicly threatened Delta, a private company headquartered in Atlanta, for its decision to end discounts for the National Rifle Association members. He goes, I will kill any tax legislation that benefits Delta unless the company changes its position and fully reinstates its relationship with the NRA. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. A lot of boycotting going on yeah, at the NRA after boycotting. the shooting. A lot of companies are deciding to not, not be part of their rewards program right, or right. other things. And uh, because Delta's in Georgia, the government there gives them tax breaks on fuel. Tens of millions of dollars. And they're saying, we're going to pull those tax breaks if you don't reinstate your relationship with the NRA. Wow. Uh, the lieutenant governor in Georgia said corporations cannot attack conservatives and expect us not to fight back. Yeah, right. Delta and United Airlines both severed marketing ties with the NRA over the weekend, joining a host of other companies like Enterprise, Symantec, which is a uh, internet uh, like spam. Yeah. Provi- they, they provide some security for computers. And First Bank of Omaha, they all dis- ended the discounts partnerships they had with the powerful gun lobby over
3: their stance after the shooting in florida interesting so now it's yeah it's everybody's getting mad at everybody
5: yeah ah We're, the
3: way it should be
5: problems are being solved governor jay Inslee of washington changed or challenged president trump on his controversial proposal to arm teachers with concealed carried weapons during a white house meeting with governor's monday Inslee said that both law enforcement and educators were concerned about teachers packing heat in classrooms. So I suggest just suggest we need a little less tweeting here and a little more listening. Let's just take that off the table and move forward. Okay. If you watch the video, Trump responds by crossing his arms and then pointing over to the governor of Texas to explain how his teachers in his state carry guns in the classroom. Oh,
3: in New York. Texas. Oh, Texas, I mean, yeah.
5: And then he talked to the guy from Arkansas, because yeah. apparently they have teachers there that yeah. can carry in the classroom also.
3: Right. Here so, we go.
5: Yeah. President Trump has this thing where he crosses his arms. Yeah. He was sitting in that listening session with students and teachers from Florida and Columbine and yeah. uh, Sandy Hook, and while they were talking about... Uh, gun control
3: and different things that way he folds his arms kind of in a like yeah like, what does that mean body language like you fold he's your arms. not necessarily liking what you're saying he's protecting himself from
5: it the body language experts we've had on the show have said that means no yeah when my mom always did that as a kid i knew i'd lost the argument already and then you'd get hit with a pool noodle that's right <laughs> so it's just interesting when he does that now you're like oh wait What's he doing there?
3: What's what's going on now?
5: So, the he, he's still uh, talking about raising the age limit, and he's talking about uh, bump stocks and maybe some high-capacity high magazines, those sort of yeah. legislation is still out there. They're still talking. It about.
3: all makes sense.
5: An employee of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta has disappeared without a trace and ah. hasn't been seen in two weeks. On Monday, police were back in Timothy Cunningham's Northwest Atlanta at neighborhood, looking for anything that helps answer the, the answer why the 35-year-old has disappeared. He's a Harvard-educated epidemiologist at the CDC. He left work February 12th and never returned. After that is not, scary. So after not hearing from her son in two days, his parents drove from Maryland to Atlanta, where they found his wallet, his car, and his pet dog still in his house. What? In a statement, the CDC said that the Dr. Cunningham's colleagues and friends our hope that he's safe. We want him to return to his loved ones and to his work. He left work because he's sick. He felt sick, so he left the CDC. Oh,
3: my heavens. Which probably has
5: nothing to do with it but still, that's probably one place where you don't want to go, I don't feel so good. No, this and this mm. is like,
3: it seems like this is, there's always these Bond movies where they have to get the guy that's the expert in, like, anthrax that right. works with the CDC. Right, so he
5: also could have just... Oh, you hope he's okay. Had a a bout of something and he's
3: lost. You You know know? what? So anything could have happened. Check the bathroom.
5: Could be. That's where I'd go. So he's, he's missing, and it's just kind of an oh, odd story they're you know, looking for. him. Scientists have thought for years that progress had been made towards curbing severe childhood obesity in the United States, but new finding appears to tip that scale in the other direction. A new study published Monday in the Journal of Pediatrics found that since 2013, severe obesity in the United States in children between the ages of 2 and 5 has increased significantly. Uh-oh. Obesity is measured by an individual's body mass index, uh, the ratio of height to weight. The researchers analyzed data from the Centers for Disease Control across age groups and combined that with analysts with in-home examinations to determine that the number of obese children is increasing. Overall, the study found a continuous climb in obesity from 9, 1999 to 2016, which contradicts previous, optimi- uh, previous optimistic reports. Girls ages 16 to 19 were also identified as a highly impacted group alongside the
3: younger children. It's scary, yeah. It's, because it's now fine. what? Now it's factual, yeah. And except for it's all based on the BMI, which is which, just a yeah. bunch of mediocre information. That's as, what BMI stands for.
5: As we've talked about multiple times on the show, yeah. And I've railed against because it thinks I'm. Morbid. I don't like it. It thinks I'm morbidly obese.
3: It's couldn't be. Yeah, it couldn't be more wrong. Right,
5: give me a break. I'm sort of obese. <laughs> Not morbidly. Not morbidly. What a horrible word. I have some
3: wiggle room there. <laughs>
5: Finally, the federal government is likely now able to unlock any model of iPhone. A report in Forbes says the contractor, known as a go-to for when the U.S. officials want to, uh, to unlock a suspect's device, unlock they have discovered a way around Apple's security features. The contractor is an Israeli firm which reportedly suggests uh, successfully circumventing security on an iPhone X late last year as a Mich- during a Michigan arms trafficking investigation. Huh. So Forbes reports the company developed undisclosed techniques that allow it to access the current operating system on Apple devices. However, the firm has not made any public statements about the reported development, so it's not clear what the DAP may be. Apple is not commenting also, because why would they? If true, the news marks a major victory for police forces worldwide who struggle struggled to keep up with the increased security that comes with each new iPhone. See, we knew they'd figure it out. Sure. Come on. They wanted iPhone iPhone, they wanted Apple to do it for them. Yeah. They said Lazy. No, and so they figured it out and there's some work around now. So they rest assured they can break
3: into any phone they want now. But well, by the way, that shouldn't make us feel very good. Oh. Right? I mean Does it make you feel safer? Well, if I felt safer knowing that man, even the federal government couldn't get into my iPhone. So it's not just me that's messed up. Right. Everyone's clueless. So you there. support
5: terrorism is what you're saying.
3: <laughs> yeah. Whoa, I guess that's, <laughs> that's, a,
5: how, that's how that argument went.
3: Yeah. I mean, it was a big jump, but yeah. You want personal security
5: on your device so people can't get in and look at your whatever mm-hmm. you have on your phone. But if you're against the government doing it, then you support terrorism.
3: Yeah, that's that, that's that makes so much sense. Right. <laughs> and it's uh, part of it is I like to know that not only am I illiterate when it comes to my iPhone, even the federal government doesn't have a clue. But right. now they apparently do, so it really is me.
1: Mm. Mm.
3: <laughs> Blasted! There you go. Well, good uh, good news, I guess. Well, in a bad way, on some level, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, let's get to the other empty news. Uh, the other news we call empty
4: MT, standing for Matt Townsend news. The MT News Team first on the scene, fifth on facts. You've got a lot of assaults going on. I know what's going on with that um, full moon, probably. Yeah. <laughs> You've got uh brick assault and you've got assault due to cereal hold on what yeah a cereal assault let me give you two different stories here okay so this one is pretty funny because it involves a bumbling burglar and uh there's a burglar that knocked out his accomplice by throwing a flying brick at his head oh boy okay so at first you think oh maybe they parted ways or they they uh, one was being greedy no police released CCTV footage of their failed attempt to break a window <laughs> the clip shows two hooded men approaching a building in Shanghai China or Shanghai armed with bricks they immediately whip out the bricks and throw them at a window the first brick makes a dent but as the second burglar throws his brick the foolish accomplice uh-huh. leaps forward directly into I the saw line that. of fire. Oh. The man takes a direct hit to the face, sending him falling unconscious to the ground. Yeah, so watch where you're going. No, I always have a rule when I'm
3: robbing something and we're throwing bricks. Yeah. A, wear a helmet. Mm -hmm. B, I always stand behind the brick thrower. Right. So that they would block me
4: from a ricochet brick. Right, exactly. That is good advice. Yeah. Let me know the next time you're going out so I can... Learn from you. We could go together. Okay. And uh, also an Alabama man has been arrested after allegedly assaulting his roommate for failing to properly seal a box of Cap'n Crunch cereal. Oh, boy. So the cereal was stale. 52-year-old Dwayne Barry Smith was charged for domestic violence charges after he allegedly assaulted a man he shares a residence with in Moundville, a small town outside Oh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Police say Smith got upset with his roommate after he discovered the Captain Crunch cereal had gone stale. Blaming the man for failing to properly seal the cereal box, Smith was especially angry since he is missing teeth. Making it difficult oh, wow. to eat. You if you're you missing teeth, Crunch. you don't eat Captain Crunch. I mean, you probably shouldn't eat Captain Crunch with teeth just because of what it can do to your gums. But, you know, some things are worth the pain. Yeah. And I've decided the Cap'n Crunch is worth the pain.
3: This is, by the way, um, yeah, uh, never mind. It would (laughs) distract us.
4: So at one point, Smith demanded the roommate remove his dentures to see what it was like to try and consume the stale cereal. When he refused, Smith began hitting him with a laptop charger cord. Oh, boy. So that's, I mean, I wonder what that sounds like. Probably something like this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. to the, That's probably how he lost all his teeth in the first place. Right. Police say the victim suffered several injuries uh. to the face, hand, and arm. But you, you, hey, there is a rule. You have to seal the bag. Oh, yeah. Seal the bag. But you know what? I would still eat the Cap'n Crunch if it was stale. Yeah. It's that good. It's that good, and it's that good for you.
3: <laughs> Wrong. Uh Yeah, so try to be civil. Can't we all just get along?
4: Yeah. I what mean,
3: happened about the old days? You know, back in... when you Remember when you grew up in Moundville? Oh, yeah. By the way, can you guess the topography of Moundville? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bet there's a ville, a, a like valley, a valley maybe. Sure. And I'm going
4: to bet there's a mound in the middle of it. Yeah. And, you know, when you're whipping... Your roommate, you could at least do the courtesy of of asking them: Is this is this too hard? Yeah, can I whip you softer? <laughs> How about I only
3: give you ten whips? You know, um, as a person that just bought a new charger for my MacBook, mm-hmm. um, careful with my charger. Yeah, it's not here
4: for you to whip me with. No, those things cost a lot of I money. Mean, do do what we what the others do and just get a rope. And no, no face shots. I think that's that's kind of the the number one rule yeah. in whipping. See, this is the insight you don't get on any other show. When I was being whooped as a kid, could, yeah, it was a it was a wooden spoon or a spatula. Didn't you didn't you used to yell
3: whip it, whip it good?
4: <laughs> I think I recall I recall watching your video, your childhood video of you yelling whip it. See, I, unfortunately, the, the takeaway from this story for me is I want to go home and have some Cap'n
3: Crunch. Yeah, see, that's the problem. You missed the whole point. Missed the whole point. Uh, but the people in Moundville, keep it up. Uh, really? It's, it's keep, not all bad. Keep up
4: the whipping? <laughs>
3: no, not the whipping. But keep up just, you know, the good, positive living. Um, we've got so much ahead. We're going to be talking about uh, an overlooked factor that may help you bond with your kids pretty interesting insight. This is the Matt Townsend Show helping you bond with the family. To master a certain skill, it is uh, estimated that it takes more than 10,000 hours of practice and training. That means we should be all be masters in the family by now, right? Wrong! As we grow and develop, we find constant roadblocks. Forging bonds on love and communication can be difficult, especially if you have young children. So here to help us understand better how to bond with our kids, Dr. Erin Leba, who is a licensed social worker, joins us today to share some of her forgotten factors, some of the forgotten factors that can help you bond with your family and your children. Erin, thank you for being with us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
3: This is, um, I mean, it's funny. We we do. We think bonding is such a natural thing. It's just, it's just so easy. It's just what we do. But there are some pretty interesting things that that we can learn even from science um, that uh, that might help us understand a little bit better how to connect to our kids. Talk about this this uh, hidden factor, this overlooked factor that you mentioned in your article that helps us bond with our kids.
0: Yeah, I think one hidden factor is um, the idea of rituals or routines that have, you know, a sweetness or a warmth to them. So um, one example might be a gra- a grandmother taking their her grandkids to the park every Friday afternoon or, um, you know, celebrating a birthday by always taking your child to a baseball game and yeah. stopping for ice cream afterwards or things like that, um, things that, like, kids can count on that they um, that are rituals that are kind of repetitive but that have sort of that element of sweetness fun laughter or real warmth to them
3: and and by doing them consistently what does it what does it give the child that makes bonding actually take place
0: yeah I think you know rich there's a lot of research behind um, the value of routines that it helps Children adjust, it builds their social skills, their academic skills, their language, and also it really helps them bond with their parents. Um, It invites a sense of cooperation. So instead of getting in power struggles over things, kind of when you have set rituals in your house, like um, when your homework's done, then you can turn on an electronic, or when you get dressed, then you can have breakfast, Um, then it really reduces parents having to kind of nag kids or remind them a bunch of times, or, you know, and that's. That's not enjoyable, but when when those are already in place, um, then parents are really free to just enjoy their kids and you know have a great conversation at breakfast because their kids are already dressed. They don't have that stress of getting them dressed, hanging over their head.
3: Mm. Um, it really eliminates this power struggle because we don't have to make up. We don't have to make up the the pattern or the way we're going to do something every single time we need to do it. We can set down a ritual that is just this is how we do it, right? Mm-hmm. And does um, I guess part of the 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 difficulty with a ritual is, I mean, we we already do a lot of things habitually, but we may not actually see them as a ritual. And then some things we actually need to formalize the ritual. So what are the what are like the critical steps to making a ritual? What has to be part of the process?
0: Yeah, I think it's just um, deciding sort of on some core um, family mo- family bonding moments in, in your family and what you want to make a ritual. Like a lot of people have the ritual of sitting down together as a family to eat dinner or um, having a family movie night on Friday night where the whole family kind of sits down, has popcorn, <laughs> has pizza for dinner and just chills together, you know, kind of coasts into their weekend In total relaxation, and it's just a way to bring them together. Um, Another ritual, you know, might be around a holiday, like always having the family do a turkey trot on Thanksgiving morning. And just realizing that those are real stability anchors for families, that they really provide a sense of community and, you know, allow people to kind of know what to expect and have that feeling of safety around that ritual. Um, knowing that they're they're always gonna have dinner with their family or they're always gonna make root beer floats on on New Year's Eve, you know just um really knowing what to expect but also building that excitement and that appreciation of certain things that their only their family does hmm. together
3: I love that and it i mean it could just be something as simple as a phrase you use, but I guess it just kind of reinstates re- it reconnects everybody to the fact that. We're very safe. We're very predictable. This is, we're always going to be safe and predictable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, research shows that family stress is often first noted in the disruption of our routines. That, you know, if when we get stressed or too busy or kind of overwhelmed, then our routines go out the window and that really exacerbates the situation. But if we can, those routines through the really busy or stressful or difficult moments, then it actually anchors us as parents um, to, you know, feel calmer and know we can count on that. And it anchors our kids. It really reduces their anxiety. Um, there's a lot of great, great studies that show that.
3: Is, um, I mean, I could hear almost some parents saying, oh, you know, we're, we like to just kind of wing it we we like to free flow. We don't want to be tied down to doing everything one way. Um, is there what what suggestions do you have for those people that that just see routine as too impeding on their freedom, their fun, their their life?
0: Oh, well, I think that's a great question because things always come up in family life. Your kids get sick, or you want to change something, or maybe you're not at home one night, or. And I think, you know, the idea of rit- rit- routines and rituals is not that you're going to be so crazy about them that, you know, you have to do them no matter what. It's just kind of the idea of providing that, that rituals are so, so great for kids that, and, and for us, that it really calms down the whole family environment. And even if you don't do it every single time, just having that intention to, to realize that that is so helpful for kids. It's kind of like, you know, the kindergarten teacher who does the exact same thing every day. And to us, it might seem, oh, that's kind of boring. Like, why why do you do that? But for kids who walk in the door and maybe they're unsettled about going to school that day or they've had a tough morning, it's just very calming. And, you know, it really helps them transition into the day. I think it's the same, you know, with with family life.
3: Yeah, it's um, it, it is interesting, like the research you cited, about uh, how it relieves stress and alleviates stress is having something be a little bit more predictable. Um, might it, it's interesting? It might create a safer uh, psyche. But one of the points you make a big deal about is that it also facilitates bonding. It there's something about how it would actually connect our children to us more. Right,
0: and I and I love the idea of um, you know. The difference between just a routine, which is, which is also great, and a ritual, which is like adding the fun or the sweetness or the warmth. Like, you know, one um, when, when family does a silly clothes bike ride where they, they all dress up in ridiculous clothes and go for a bike ride um, once a month. And it's like that's the stuff you don't get maybe in everyday life unless <laughs> – you know, and and that became their, their treasured bike ride. They had tons of laughs about it. They yeah. would try out to outdo each other and they really would look forward to it. Um, you know, these are like young kids that just loved it. <laughs> and it you don't get that in just let's go for a bike ride today. You know. Right. It's a total it's a different thing.
3: I look at the rituals as um one of the things that if someone were to pass away or leave because they're out of state for school or whatever, it's like the rituals that we would miss the most. those sweet mm-hmm. connected moments that we would actually mourn because they're gone. Um, you know, where there's some parts of our routines that we may not care so much about, but you know maybe the good talks you might have with your kids if you make it a ritual to talk with them on the way to school while they're in the car. It's it's the little things, and you keep using the word sweetness, but it, it's just it's where it almost seems like it's where love appears.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's so true. You know, we had a routine or a ritual growing up where every time we got sick, we got to read Uncle a whole stack of Uncle Scrooge comic books and we and we didn't get to read those any other time. Huh. And our parent would sit down, you know, and read with us and we would, you know, as we got older even in high school, that's what we did on our on our sick days. And that that's such a treasured memory and it, it's like you said it's kind of like that's a great feeling of love instead of associating being sick with just being miserable. It was kind of like that was a special moment that we got to have. Yeah. You know.
3: It's um, you, in fact, uh, in your article too, you cited a father that, who would get his two girls' corsages every um, Easter, and the, he did it from when they were two to when they were thirty years old. How um, I mean, the memories that get tied to these things. so if if you were ta- if you if you think about how to, um, to to make something a ritual, it seems like where we might break down is making it a habit. And uh, I know you Mm -hmm. you, uh, quote Charles Duig in your in your um, in your article. What do you suggest we do to actually make the ritual a habit to to keep it going?
0: Yeah, I think I think um, you know he has Charles Duig has a great book called The Power of Habit, and he really talks about kind of coming up with an idea or kind of noticing what do you really enjoy doing with your kids? Like what has been a really fun moment and how could you kind of institutionalize that, you know, like, and it might be something really small, you know, something in everyday life that was just like a lot of fun together. And how could you keep that, keep that going? And then I think that the big key is to notice, you know, the effects on people, how you feel like you had a great time with your kids, how they feel, like they had a great time. Everyone was laughing. Everyone was enjoying the moment. And then it's kind of remembering that reward that keeps the habit going that, that will help you, you know, keep repeating it. Because it is it is hard to keep any habit going oh, yeah. in, in the busyness of life. Like even, you know, one five-minute thing in a week is is hard to keep going. But if you can remember, you know, kind of the science behind it and also how you feel in that moment. It can be motivating.
3: Uh, again, we're speaking with Aaron Lieba, who is a licensed social worker and uh, is the author of the new book, Joy Fixes for Weary Parents. One hundred and one ideas for overcoming fatigue, stress, and guilt, and building a life you love. She also um, has a, a, a website you can you can get all of her information and and her ideas um, from if you go to aaronleba dot is l e y b a dot com. dot com. But Aaron, um, one of the things, uh, just to be clear, that you're teaching us that is. With pretty much anything in life we could create more of a routine which would eliminate some of the fights with our kids. But then we can also, with special things in our lives, we could create <laughs> rituals, right? So it's about routines and rituals and this will bond us to our kids and create just a lot fewer arguments probably.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the neat pieces of research I I noticed while writing this article was that Um, routines can help family members stay close despite their conflicts. Kind of like conflicts are going to come up among family members, but the routines kind of are this glue that keeps bonding them back together, even though, you know, they might be drifting apart in certain ways or, you know, having conflicts or arguments that routines really keep that closeness Mm. among family members
3: too. And and, um, uh, you can almost see that. Like if you have a if you have a uh, you know certain holidays you celebrate together, those routines or those patterns, I guess those could also be rituals. Would be um, they they they'd kind of force everybody to to come back more regularly
1: mm-hmm.
3: and engage yeah, and re-engage. And yeah,
0: having to make up with each other.
3: No, I've seen that too. Just couples that I work with that they have a routine or a ritual actually of maybe. Uh, going to bed together, you know, talking or having a prayer or whatever they right. do, they that would actually take any fight that you had at eight p.m. If you still do your ritual at ten p.m. of going to bed together, um, you have to almost deal with the inevitable issue of the fight.
1: Mm-hmm. Right,
3: and, it, and it brings you back together to, to work on it. What uh, any other advice you give us when it comes to making a ritual? that uh that would you know might be essential or or kind of a good clue for all of us as we're trying to get more rituals into our lives
0: I think it's um you know it's just that rituals are about presence too that when you add that you know that fun and that warmth to routines it's about being fully present and also kind of enjoying your life and i think you know a lot of parents can get so serious about parenting or you know they're just so busy focused on the next thing the next weekend all they have to do that it can be hard to kind of stop and reflect and then notice the moments that you're you love you know with your kids notice the times when you're feeling really joyful with them and i think you know rituals when you look at it as that's a time when you're really present and really loving life with your kids that that is you know that that's That's when the real ritual is happening.
3: Yeah, that's when the real power takes place. Well, Erin, we appreciate it. Keep up your great writing. Again, Erin Leba is her name. You can find out more on her website, ErinLeba.com, where you can also find out information about her new book, Joy Fixes for Weary Parents, 101 Ideas for Overcoming Fatigue, Stress and Guilt, and Building a Life You Love. Uh, which again is the goal of this program, is to help you be the kind of parent you want to be, remove some of the guilt, some of the exhaustion, and actually increase the connection and the real love between you and your kids. We will continue the journey up next doing a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
2: I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner.
3: Play ball! When it comes right down to it with your kids and your family, um, if you want bonding, don't you have to be present? I mean, do you actually think you're going to mail in a bonding moment? I mean, you might be able to maybe do that once. But bonding takes time, it takes presence, it takes insight, it takes energy, and I think a lot of us are just trying to survive nowadays where we're not even in a state of of really fixing or improving our situation, a lot of us are just trying to stay above water. So when I think of rituals... One of the reasons I um, am really loving and and big and a big proponent of rituals is simply the idea that if I could get people to more consistently try to connect, then we might actually make something happen in in a in a magical way. we If we have the time together, the right talk, the right touch, the right tone, maybe the right topic. Um, and we can hold that space for a, an amount of time. I think I've I've actually seen many miracles take place. And it's not enough, I teach, to, to just stop the bleeding of your relationship so we're no longer hurting each other. We have to ensure that we are constantly feeding the relationship, which is uh, a, an easy way to think about that, is a ritual – and I talked about last week that one of the best times or places to do a ritual is in these moments of transition where um, there's just a lot of added value in the moment of transition, which is a transition would be any time in your day when you kind of are transitioning from one thing to another thing. It's just a perfect time to have a ritual. Like when you come home and you see each other for the first time, it's the perfect time to have a, a kind of a hello greeting or a hello ritual, and I would formalize how you say hello to each other after you haven't seen each other all day. Do you hug? Do you kiss? And I'd formalize it. Everyone's like, oh, that's so formal. Well, the reason I would like you to formalize it is because then we all know how it's going to go. We all know that we're going to hug each other and um, kiss you know, And we know what we're going to say. So it's not one of us is always wanting a five-minute hug and one's wanting a one-second hug. Let's formalize it. So it's just like, hey, I'm going to come home. And by the way, you already do it naturally. But you might notice when you're angry with each other, you don't do it. Right? You just don't do it. Rituals have so much power because they show to each other that you're in no matter what. We have rituals all throughout our culture, all throughout society. When you go to a baseball game, we stand up and we uh, put our hand over our heart when they walk in with the flag and we sing the national anthem. You know the ritual. And you don't do it because it's fun and it's easy. You do it because you believe in the institution of our country. You believe in a bigger thing that's, that's bigger than you. Now, how powerful is that when you may not love the president, you may not love what's going on in certain places, but we still stand for the ritual. And what it says is you are more committed to this country than anything else. Well, the same is true in our marriage. If we have a ritual of of hugging and kissing each other every time we see each other or every time we say goodbye, then what we're saying to each other is even if I just got in an argument with you 5 minutes ago, I'm still no matter what going to Going to come hug you before I leave that and that what that tells you is i'm into us, I may not like you right now, you make me mad right in this moment, but i'm in I believe in this institution, so think about your rituals in your marriage um, and those transition points when you arrive with each other, when you say goodbye to each other, How about when you go to bed as a transition point? How about in between dinner and when you go, you know, either watch TV or do what you do at night. Those are all moments of transition. Um, It could just be how uh, just other activities, how you hold hands could be a quirky little ritual. You might only hold three fingers or you might, you know, whatever you do with your your ritual. But what's really cool about it is um, it's yours. The neat thing about a ritual, too, is they can be so customized to you, too, that they become very personal they become very real. So don't overlook these little simple joys of a relationship because they they really can make a difference. I know people that um that they just it's little phrases they say. In fact, all of my kids do it now um where we just if somebody mumbles or groans or or says something and they don't understand what someone said we everyone in my family is like what'd you say? and we always just as a joke say you heard me. and if even if they didn't hear, we always say that. and so i have kids that are away on when they were away on their mission, um they were doing that with their friends, with their acquaintances that they were meeting and it just it just reminds you of home. so don't give up and don't don't think you have to like be overly stressed about your rituals. Just know they're going to happen. They're already existing in your marriage. They already are there. And one of the rules might be let's try to create more of those rituals so that we can more habitually just learn to connect and be present with each other. Also, just another essential point that I think we learned um, is the power of routine. Our kids need more routine, and they need us as parents to put our phones down. Some of the research about the disappointment the sadness, the loneliness that our kids feel when mom and dad are so overly focused on their phones it's sad so let's let's make it a routine of of leading our families a little bit more, being more present, learning to turn off our devices, and uh, learning to actually dial in to our children and one way to do that is just simple routines go. Help put put your kids to bed and get become a part of their bedtime routine. Become a part of their um, – the rituals of around dinner where we turn all the technology off and we actually ask our kids, tell me what you learned today. What's your number one learning? Stephen Covey used to always ask his kids, tell me what you learned today. And what that forced his kids to do was know that every day they weren't just supposed to go to school. They were supposed to learn something. And their dad was going to be asking them about it. The changes the entire game when you know you're going to be asked by your parents to teach you what you learned. And when they say, I don't know, don't take that for an answer. (laughs) Just say, of course you do. We'll just wait. Just think of something. Everyone's going to get a chance. Oh, come on, mom. You almost have to fight through that first moment or two. And just let's start doing this habitually giving them the opportunity to have a voice, to share, to teach, and that you're going to always be there to listen. What could go wrong with that, right? Get, get in that habit with our kids. There's power, folks, and there's great joy in being a family and having a family. And uh, there's even more power and joy when we have rituals and we have focused time to be together. That is the true joy. We will continue the journey more straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. Welcome back, friends. Yes, it is time to
4: go now to the Empty News Headlines with Jeff Simpson. What else you got for us, Jeffrey? You know, it's always a good idea to pay contractors, especially if these people are being paid to remove trash for you. Yeah. yeah, You got to pay them. Yeah. So um, Eddie Barbie and Dan Harrison were tasked with picking up (laughs) <laughs> a huge pile of garbage in east yorkshire england uh uh let's see when when the pair arrived they claimed the dumpster was filled too high so they offered their services to this home to they dropped off the dumpster when they came back to get it the dumpster was piled way too high so uh they tipped the entire load into the customer's front garden Real? does that seem fair to you uh no Okay. Well, listen to this. Eddie said, we gave the customer three weeks to pay for overloading the skip. 15 tons was in the skip and would have been too heavy for me to carry on the road. It's my license at the end of the day. They pulled the, we don't understand card. Uh. So I said, understand this and tipped the bin causing no damage. Uh. So when you don't pay your bills you got to – you you're going to pay the price in some way or yeah. another. In this case, it's – you're going to have to pick up the garbage. You're going – yeah. You, pay your bill. Oh, yeah.
3: That's what – I think Mama used to say that. Pay your bill. Yeah. Mama also said there would there were days like this. Yeah. Mama said there would be days like this. <laughs> always – yeah. Mama always said that. Hey, uh, I guess that's the key to all of this is and, – and and by the way, you don't have to be a jerk either
4: just but when you don't get paid know. you know you're gonna do something and small claims court is is it's timely i mean it takes a lot of time and it doesn't it's always, an inconvenience yeah and, it, and doesn't, it doesn't always go your way as yeah. some of us have learned the hard way yeah yes you did well anyway we
3: will continue doing what we can to ease your burden and we won't we won't just leave a big load of useless stuff for you Always going to be good, valuable information. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
0: This
4: is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
2: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
2: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
2: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, along with Jeff and Terry, the gang is gathered working all night long to bring you this little bit of joy. That's uh actually Jeff looked at me like, what? I think the only one working all night long was probably Terry. And that was only till like 10 o'clock. And then but then you wake up at 1 and it's get back at it. 4:30. Man fine. Crazy stuff um, going on. Boy, can you imagine being one of the children from the Florida shooting and you're back to school today? And you've, you've got to walk back into the... Now, I think they, they're they not going to that one building, I guess, where the shooting took place. But yeah, it's surrounded. You're back to school. It's got to be terrifying. Oh, yeah. An incredibly hard, hard uh, thing to go do. And so... Really, again, of all the time to send the prayers, maybe today is a good time to set them up again, and let's start giving them hope and prayers for uh, getting back to school. Again, not necessarily solving the problem. Um, in fact, fighting about it at different levels. I heard today that there's kids that are now getting um, threats Yes. online because of the positions they're taking. They've been getting threats since they walked out
5: of the school and talk to the media when it happened. Unbelievable. Yeah. They've been through a lot. They don't need more threats. I was listening this morning some people talk about these kids are in this interesting spot because they can't vote. Yeah. Right? So they they're not really a declared party affiliation. Right. But they're def- you know, they have a cause now that their classmates have died. Right. We need to change this. And, and, they're not, and they're not, and they're not saying they want to have some party thing. They're like, "You're the adults, fix it." Yeah, but then the adults start taking sides oh, because, oh
3: yeah, yeah, you want to take away the guns, or you want to, yeah.
5: So they're they're trying so, and you can't go after them because they're not necessarily they're not adults, right? But they're kids that have this voice, totally. and you don't. They're they're it's, so they're, there's this kind of confusion on how to. Um, rebut the argument i guess yeah. so when you do it as an adult to a 17 year old kid one it's a kid right but the other side is the kid says it back to you mm-hmm. right so how do you respond so you don't look like an adult that's just trying to smash some kid but you can't
3: because the kid's not backing down right so you have this conflict what you do know, you do you know how do you yeah how do you argue with a kid but then they make very simple points too like you're the grown-ups how do you argue with that? fix this Right, We shouldn't have to face this. It's what we
5: saw with Marco Rubio at that town hall, is he was having to face the non-emotional kind of stances of the pro-gun side of the argument that doesn't have any flexibility for the logic that these kids are talking about.
3: Unbelievable. It really is. Uh, So you want to add more complexity to this whole thing? I mean, could it get more complex? So is it the guns... Is it the mental health? Is it the response of the emergency services? Are we – is it the teachers that need to be armed? These are all things that have been brought up. Another uh, topic that comes up um, by some researchers is that on a list of the 27 deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history, 26
4: of the 27 are fatherless boys. Really? Mm. Fatherless boys. That is an important observation. Hmm. Now, yeah, some would say that might be a coincidence. Oh, sure. 26 out of
5: <laughs> sure. 27? a sure. so pretty heard, good percentage. I, I've heard <laughs> where, where they give similar sort of stats on, so, oh, that's a coincidence. These You're are the deadliest mass and,
3: shootings. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm sure that there are father children that are oh, shooting yeah. people as well. But it is an interesting thing that might be telling us there's also a breakdown of the family. Mm-hmm. And by the way, meanwhile, a hashtag Me Too movement's going on, which I would also bet is influenced deeply by a fatherless movement. And and the, we know that there's a lot of kids being raised without fathers. And then think of the pressure that puts on all the mothers of these homes.
5: And in this situation in
3: Florida, the, the, the shooter was put into the foster system. Yeah, And, and, then, and his and then... parents even knew how troubled this boy was. Right. And And, couldn't do anything.
5: Yeah. And so it's – and recently I think there were some changes in his life where the people that were caring for him, they they got moved. And so and his mother just died. Right. And so he had the the one person that he connected with is now gone and that was what they feel may have been a trigger that led to his action. Mm. Though he may have – well, not may. uh, They're arguing – this is the – the Broward County Sheriff yesterday was arguing with CNN – CNN says there were 49 incidences with this the shooter and his brother since like 2008. Wow, and 49. Sher- yeah, and the sheriff's like, no, it was only 23. Yeah, no, it's 40. Uh, you're like only 23, and you and you know. So I mean, he wasn't yeah. making the argument any better by trying to you know diminish the actual number when you're talking the facts. But there again, all these incidents and they missed them. But I mean. At what point do the cops step in? Oh, yeah. At what point, do the and police, what point do they have
3: the right to step in?
5: Has he done anything wrong up to that point that they need to try to stop something? But when you look at the massive incidences that were reported, you try. Oh. is there a something there that needs to let someone know
3: there's a problem? They do say, too, that in, there is a direct correlation between boys that grow up with absent fathers and boys who drop out of school, who drink, who do drugs, who become delinquent, who wind up in prison. And now she's – and one of the researchers is saying, and and who killed their classmates. Hmm. So it's a pretty strong wow. uh, argument. But the bigger thing I want to bring out is – again, this is a complicated issue. And by the way, we could spend more money. Like our presidents choose where to allocate a lot of money in um, – in, in the country, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, President, I remember President Bush allocated a lot of money to strengthening marriages. President Obama allocated a lot of money to fatherlessness to focus on that that uh, situation. Um, maybe we ought to also be paying attention to that and continue. I mean, you can see that a lot of those things would be reversed the minute a new administration comes in. But uh, maybe there is something about that. Focus on families. How about that? And it doesn't mean that these families are all causing this, but it does mean that families are probably the front line of all of this when it comes right down to it. So uh, just a little, uh, little more food for thought. Let's get to the other headlines, other things we need to be paying attention to. Terry, what else should we be focused on? As
5: we were talking about students returning to class today at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Florida for the first time since that shooting, On Valentine's Day, uh, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders confirmed Tuesday that President Trump supports raising the age limit to 21 for the purchase of certain firearms, despite the NRA rejecting the proposal over the weekend. Sanders declined to go into specifics. She said uh, Monday that the president is planning a meeting for Wednesday with bipartisan members of Congress to discuss different pieces of legislation and what they can do moving forward on this topic. So we'll see where that That's goes. That's good, yeah. One of America's largest sporting goods retailers has announced that it will no longer sell assault-style weapons effective immediately in a direct response to the Florida school shooting. Edward Stack, CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods, said on Good Morning America, When we saw what happened in Parkland, we were so disturbed and upset. We love these kids and their rallying cry. Enough is enough. It got us to, uh, at Dick's, which has more than 600 stores across the U.S., also announced it will no longer sell high-capacity magazines or any gun to anyone under 21, regardless of what the local laws are. Wow, that's, that's huge. Cool. Yeah. They uh, confirmed the company's, uh, they actually sold one of the guns to the shooter last November, not the one he used in the shooting, but he had like seven or eight of these rifles. Oh, wow. So they, uh, they don't want that to be uh, something that they're connected with. In yeah. the future, and they you know reassessing how they do business. The CEO said he expects a backlash against the decision, but added, "If the kids in Parkland are being brave enough to stand up and do this, we can be brave enough to stand up with them." That's cool. So, moving I mean, forward, you got to do that.
3: something, right? And you can you imagine being a, a big chain a CEO of a big chain like that, and your gun was used in that shooting, and then made a, a major part of CNN, yeah, some night of. Dealing with the shootings on CNN. Oh, boy. In mm-hmm. uh, other news, White House
5: advisor Jared Kushner long, no longer has access to top secret intelligence after his security clearance was downgraded, according to Politico. Uh, Kushner and other aides with interim top secret level security clearance were informed by memo on Friday that their security clearance would be downgraded to secret. Yeah. President Trump has the power to provide Kushner access, but said on Friday the same day that the memo was signed that he would leave the decision to his chief
3: of staff. Wow.
5: So we'll see if he goes over his chief and of staff's head. And he said,
3: because he I know my chief of staff will make the best, most appropriate decision. Right. And but the, the chief of staff made the decision that no clearance for you. Right.
5: Now, it's interesting they're saying it will not affect his ability to continue the very important work he's been assigned to do. Other reports say that he doesn't have access to the documents, the, uh, kind of deal with most of the stuff he's trying to do. So I don't know how that works. If you don't have access to the information, you can't be in room for certain meetings. How can you continue? Well, maybe this is the case? beginning.
3: We were hearing last year, weren't we, um, that maybe Kushner and Ivanka were going to yeah. to leave. because the idea. And so... Maybe the, because remember, uh, Ivanka got in trouble for making diplomatic gestures toward North Korea or South Korea yeah. without being informed. Well, and she was there. She's not a She diplomat. was there for the
5: Olympics. There was some concern that she's the head of this envoy, and should she be representing the country yeah.
3: in that way? She doesn't have any background in it. So but. they kind of either have got to be cleared and in the team, yeah. on the team, or it seems like maybe you just go back to New York and make money.
5: Maybe. She has shoes or to Or just
3: stay in D.C. and make money.
5: Could be. The Trump family and the president's oldest son, Don Jr., in particular, are angry about the overwhelmingly negative TV coverage about Jared Kushner last night and feels the White House chief of staff is hanging Jared out to dry, a source familiar with the family yeah. and, and situation, tells Axios. Foreign officials from China, Israel, Mexico, and the United Arab Emirates have all reportedly discussed how to manipulate presidential advisor Jared Kushner through his business ventures and political inexperience. According to the Washington Post, Kushner's conversation with foreign officials, which were not properly reported to the National Security Council, have prevented him from being granted a permanent security clearance. Uh, That Washington Post article talks about how countries would come in and be like, no, can we just talk to Jared? Everybody else go, let's, let's bring Jared in. And the reason is he's inexperienced. They can yeah. talk with him, maybe get a deal out of him because he's not sure well, what's and happening. he also still has other business dealings, right? So is He, he... does. Like huge debt to other countries as they try to kept, keep the Kushner family business alive.
3: And that's, yeah, just... So that they're not sure if that's There's what it is? There's just a standard. Or... There's a standard that you have to live up to. Right.
5: Uh, Admiral Mike Rogers, uh, director of U.S. Cyber Command and the National Security Agency, told lawmakers yesterday that he has not been granted the authority by President Trump to disrupt Russian election hacking operations. Asked by Democratic Senator Jack Reed if he's been directed by the president through the defense secretary to confront Russian cyber operations at, at the source, Roger says, no, I have not, but noted that he has tried to work Roger, within, he has within the authority he maintains as a commander. So he's not, he goes, clearly what we have done has not been enough. Now the White House press secretary Sanders says nobody is denying him the authority. We're looking at a number of different ways that we can put pressure this is a very important issue, very consequential, the top cyber. So, I mean, the idea that you that have a top cyber person saying, I,
3: I've never, I haven't never, I been directed to do anything. Somebody else on that committee in a general's, like a admiral's uniform, was saying, let me just kind of clarify a little bit of that. It's not like we haven't been we, – we're not doing anything that they're doing to us. We're not doing to them. They, they, he they, said mm-hmm. that in the me- – oh, wow, and then nice. like, So there's – that's all I can say about that. Yeah, yeah. But it's. Um,
5: I've heard people hint towards it, but no one actually confirmed it. Yeah. And it's kind of been the idea, the
3: thought is that, yeah, we're doing it to them. That's why they, yeah. you know. We're not doing it the way they're doing it to us. Yeah. It was just really awkward. But boy, that. Yeah, he's going to have to get on that. Like, because the elections are coming. Yeah. And stuff has to be ready and prepared, or so their impact is already. So he's saying going he hasn't hit. been
5: directed to do anything, right. and the White House is saying no one's stopping you. Get on it! That's, and He's like, I. He goes, I'm operations. I do what I'm directed to do. I don't just, you know, go out go on a invent limb. Invent stuff, right? So he. I, ah. It's kind of an interesting argument back and forth. Finally, police say a a, a a very a clue basically led to the arrest of a Pennsylvania man charged with stealing a pot of meatballs. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He had red sauce smeared on his face and his oh, clothes. Oh, boy. Right? So authorities have charged 48 year old. Lehman Glenn Robert Porter. Four names, by the way. Yeah. Lehman Glenn Robert Porter. Because one's not good enough. No. With burglary, criminal trespass, and theft by unlawfully taking for, uh, unlawful taking for allegedly swiping the pot of meatballs from a man's garage Monday. Police say the victim reported his meatballs missing. Told officers around 2.30 Monday that he saw pot, this Potter man standing in front of his house with red sauce on his face and clothes. The <laughs> pot was found in the street. It's unclear if Potter what? washed the sauce off before he was arrested a short time later.
4: What? I you're always after me,
3: pot
5: of meatballs. So it didn't go as far magically as
3: magically delicious. It didn't go as
5: far as to say he was caught red-handed, but yeah, face and red shirt. Faced, yeah. yeah.
3: Um, don't you hate it when they're after your pot of meatballs?
4: <laughs> How do you call it in? Someone stole my meatballs. We'll be right there, sir.
3: Isn't that amazing?
4: There is a pot of meatballs at the end of every rainbow. Oh, really? Yeah.
3: I didn't know it was meatballs. mm Hmm. Huh. I thought it was and, a
4: pot of gold. Well, some would consider that as good as gold. Nee,
5: I don't <laughs> think so. So You could see someone trying to make that connection on a menu for like an Italian restaurant. Yeah. They call it the pot of gold.
4: It's a big bowl of meatballs. Well, you just shared that with us yesterday. The bread bowl of meatballs. That's right. It's a pizza uh, smashed into a bowl. Yeah. Um, well, boys, I'm proud of you. Really, you've done it you've I don't know how you did it, but are you are you talking about my silver in the walking Olympics, my silver medal? You're bringing that up yeah no I that's will not be what I'm talking about crowned today is that the right term crowned um, A- awarded okay yeah. You Actually, win I don't know the knighted. I think I don't know that we can have you go. We we we've, we've got an
3: interview we need <laughs> no, you. To we're busy. Do. So, so why are you proud of us? Just
4: because again we we're almost done with February. Right today would be the last day. I had a lot to do with the passing of that time. By the way, yeah. I mean I,
3: I'm always surprised that you guys made it another month. I don't know why. But we're still here. Just in that this and that you're still doing the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you. We, we appreciate that. <laughs> did, uh, did you see the billboard about Serena Williams, by the way? What did it say? Greatest. So she's a goat. Instead of a goat, she's ag mote, gamote, greatest mother ah. of all time. Really? Mm. It, was it was a b- billboard uh, that was set up by her hubby Oh. Okay. in oh, California. That works. She is the greatest mother of all time. A lot of women don't like to be called goats. Well, but it's a, yeah, it's a G-mote. it's a sports term, so you know, she understands. Yeah, she totally does. Don't you wonder what your wife would put up as as a billboard for you? I think I have a pretty good idea. What would she put?
5: I don't know the exact wording. Yeah. But it would be one of those sort of sideways compliments. Yeah. Where it's kind of maybe a little condescending, like
3: eh, yeah. patting you on the head sort of thing. But yeah. yeah, I mean, you did a good job. Like, hey,
4: greatest non-ruiner of my, dinner. Right. Mine yeah. would probably say, this billboard will stay up until my husband cleans his side of the bed. There you go. Or his bedside table. Yeah. I was <laughs> opening. What are you doing in your side of the bed? <laughs> There's crackers and wrappers. Mm-hmm.
3: A plate of meatballs. (laughs) Of
5: course, it's nachos. Oh, that's true. Don't bring those up. I'm sorry, but you know that's Mm. what he's eating in bed. So there's not not only crumbs, but cheese sauce. Maybe
4: if I can make my my last diet bet game this weekend, maybe that's what I'll get. It's a plate of nachos, and I'll eat it in bed. Oh, wow. Somebody's planning a big
3: weekend. It's going to get messy. (laughs) Well, I think you're all goats. That's good. That's good stuff. And uh, that's kind of nice. How would you like to just be driving down some street in California and all of a sudden you see your big face on the billboard holding your baby? Serena Williams, the GMote, greatest mother of all time. Now, I'm sure there's a million women out there saying, what? What about me? All right. We'll continue the journey up next. We're going to be talking about how this year's severe flu epidemic has exposed a serious flaw in our medical uh, system powerful uh, little problem we got that we'll be having to fix I think very quickly. This is the Matt Johnson Show.
0: BYU Radio
4: Hear what BYU head football coach Keelani Sitake says about living in Provo and Utah Valley.
5: Got the chance to be here as a student and uh, now I get to come back and be part of it. Provo is the best place. There's something unique about this place, and uh, you just got to be here to experience it. Come visit us. Come see what we have here going on, and I promise you all the memories will come back. Experience it with your family. It's a family affair. All fans that want to come by and visit, please do. Love to see you. Looking forward
1: to
3: it. There's more to discover at visitprovo.org. You can take BYU Radio with you wherever you go. The BYU Radio app gives you access to stream live
5: shows or listen to past episodes from the BYU Radio Archive. The app is free and you will be able to hear all of the Cougar sports and BYU radio shows you love right from your device. Just download the BYU radio app for iOS, Android, and Amazon mobile devices and start listening. With the app, you'll have BYU radio with you in the car, at work, or even on vacation.
3: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Did you know that the United States IV, so intravenous saline solution, comes mainly from Puerto Rico? But after the hurricane in Puerto Rico, our supplies were running short, right? Which wouldn't seem like that big of a deal, except for the fact that a uh, certain IV and saline solution is critical and necessary for some of the worst flu um, patients. Those patients need a lot of saline uh, in order to also put other drugs into their system and, and to help them heal and get better. So it, uh, it actually had this weird convergence of, of problems that came down the pike this year. We had a major flu outbreak where, remember, we talked about it on the show, I think like 4,000 people were dying, I think, a week in that outbreak. I don't know what the numbers are now. But we also had a hurricane in Puerto Rico where one of our number one providers of the saline solution um, is 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 doing and, and making all of the saline. So here to speak with us a little bit about the problem that that created is Morton Wendalbo, who is a research fellow at the Scowcroft Institute of International Affairs. And um also a faculty member at Texas A&M University. He's going to walk us through how this crazy little weird scenario actually exposed a serious flaw in our medical system. Uh, Morton, thank you so much for being with us today.
6: Morning, Matt. Thank you for having me.
3: It, it seems like this this was a, a really crazy kind of once in maybe every a decade event is it was it was this a weird experience that we found this error in our in our medical system or is this something we could expect more of in the future
6: um i, I unfortunately I, I think we can expect a lot more of it in the future um uh, and and we can get to just why that is in, in a little bit yeah but, um the 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 thing is, we've known for a long, long time that this was an issue. Uh, it's just that the IV saline, um, um, uh, you know, shortage sort of exposed it, made it very tangible, made it very obvious that. Whoa! We've got a you know we've got a major flaw uh, in the system,
3: and there were uh, there are there are other treatments other than the IV, sa- IV saline, but they're dangerous, they're life threatening, and they have to be done appropriately. And um, so, I guess, talk to us about what you see the real problem is, and and what uh, kind of this movement. I, one of the ideas, I guess, is globalization. How globalization impacts and is impacting our our own you know medical system.
6: Yeah, it's almost fully a consequence of globalization. So globalization, uh, for a number of different reasons, means that a lot of pieces of production gets moved abroad, uh, typically because it's a lot cheaper to produce basically anything uh, in, in a country uh, abroad, or in, in the case of IV saline, not abroad, but in a U.S. territory um, in Puerto Rico, where the minimum wage is significantly lower than it is here and so on.
3: Is it? So so, um, globalization, that it becomes cheaper to do that. And then, I mean, I I look at this too, like, um, I mean, there's companies making a lot of money on this, but it it doesn't seem like they're necessarily watching everything as closely as maybe they need to be.
6: Absolutely. I I think part of the solution to this problem is, is companies. Companies need to look ahead when they are producing critical goods, and IV saline is a critical good, and we have you know, um, a few hundred medications that we would consider critical goods. Coal and, and other fossil fuels are critical goods in the time of disaster. We need to have the companies that produce and supply these understand their supply chains well enough to know that if part of their supply chain breaks down, if there is a hurricane that shuts down their production, they need to warn the authorities that they won't be able to deliver on time.
3: Mm. And think about that, like business wise, that's bad business, right? Sometimes you don't want to let everybody know about certain shortages. But one of the problems that's also uh, happening, it seems like that these same businesses are also buying into this, uh, this approach to organizing their um, inventory that's called just-in-time shipment. So instead of having you know a lot of saline ba- on back storage and produce a lot that then may not be able to be sold, they're actually producing it just in time and shipping it out and getting it out just almost as every store needs it. And that's actually a brilliant plan until there's a hurricane <laughs> and a flu epidemic that starts to hit.
6: Yeah, and and the reason why companies do that is because it's a lot cheaper, and they can produce according to demand, and it means we don't have to have expensive storage anywhere. So um, for some medications, and for IV saline as well, we do have storages of IV saline, so it's not that if we don't have deliveries tomorrow, we will run out. Um, It's just that if we can't deliver for weeks and weeks, then we're going to start running out. But the reason why they do it, think about a company like Amazon, and Amazon is sort of the the poster child for just in time storage is very expensive so sellers who sell through amazon pay per the cubic foot oh, wow. for storage yeah. at uh amazon warehouses and it's expensive so you want the goods to be in the warehouse just long enough that it could be turned around and be sent off again to the customer and in in some cases you know you know Sometimes we can receive packages at home privately a couple of times a day. UPS or FedEx will come by. Hospitals receive life-saving medications sometimes up to three times a day. And it's because so many goods move so fast and are delivered just in time uh, because it's so much cheaper not to store uh, not to store large uh, shares of them.
3: And so it, it makes sense business-wise. Um, but it may not make sense to the overall health of the country to have um, to have these potential downtimes. Talk about what what are some solutions? What who needs to step in? Is this a government thing? Is it a business thing? Um, what are some possible solutions?
6: I think it is what we would consider a public private partnership. The government has a responsibility, certainly, to have the overall view of what's going on. So. Um, The CDC, the Centers uh, for Disease Control, which is headquartered in Atlanta, they are on top of emerging diseases across the United States and really actually across the world. The CDC plays a role in a lot of other countries as well. And that's part of the story, but they're not in charge of the supply chain. So between the knowledge they have of emerging um, disasters, private companies have much more knowledge of their supply chains than the public ever could. And somehow the two of the, the two of those need to inform each other. So what we think is the solution, my, my colleague that I wrote this article with, Dr. Blackburn and I, what we think the solution is is to get to know these supply chains a lot better and have sort of early warning systems set in so that when there's a hurricane in Puerto Rico and we know that 45 or so percent of our IV saline comes from Puerto Rico and it looks like that production is going to be down for a long time, we knew that pretty early on, Um, then there needs to be some kind of contingency. We need to start looking abroad for other solutions or internally, domestically, because we can produce saline domestically, just not in those uh, large amounts or not domestically but on the mainland, of course, because Puerto Rico is is domestic to the United States. but the problem so, – so for Hurricane Maria, for example, that was, that was in the mid-fall. That was three months before uh, we had an IV saline shortage here in the United States, really. Uh, mm. So we had lots of time to see it coming. But – and it's not that nobody was looking, but it's not that it, – it's that not everybody that was supposed to be looking at the same time and each had a piece of the puzzle were talking to each other uh, carefully enough at least.
3: Yeah, it's interesting too because we uh, – you know, everybody has a different view on how much government interference you want. But we've also had experts in on the show talking about this epidemic. I mean, with 4000 people dying, like a week for a while, it was um, that's crazy, right? This is the flu. And um, but but there was a shortness on so many of these supplies, and it, it seems like when it comes to public health, you can't just rely on businesses, corporations to just do their best. You know, we need to we right. need to make sure we have a supply, especially if something as simple as saline, because literally every IV, pretty much every IV could be started. You could start saline on somebody, and it would just rehydrate. It would just start taking care of a lot of very basic things that they need. And so um, I guess one solution you're saying is, is, a, is a strong interplay between government and, uh, and our corporate system. What about too? I mean, it, it, some countries actually have the government involved in more of these things, right? Even, even owning businesses or providing their own v- suppliers and, and managing some of the basic needs. Do you think government should ever go that far?
6: Well, so let me say in in a a very basic sense, no matter what your um, persuasion about the role of government in general is sort of politically in public health, nobody can replace the government. It it just isn't a viable option because you are thinking about, I mean, an influenza uh, epidemic that's across the, the continental United States. Right. And nobody has the structure in the private sector to deal with it and in a lot of ways they don't have the incentives to deal with it because Mm. during times of disaster actually there typically isn't a lot of money to be made but there's a lot of work to be done and government plays a crucial role in that now government outright getting involved in the production that's an interesting question and one i I think that veers very very easily veers over into sort of um ethical or ideological questions there, there is a role for government in a few cases to um, support production. So here at Texas A&M, for example, we um, built a new um, vac- vaccine factory, let's call it that, it, over the last few years. And it's supported by federal uh, government money. And what it does is it's increasingly enabling us to produce uh, certain types of vaccines very, very quickly. It actually uses tobacco plants huh. to produce vaccines. Um, no private enterprise has the funds um, or the incentives to go and spend millions and millions and millions of dollars setting up a factory like this unless there is already um, a demand to respond to. The problem is, of course, once there is a demand, once there is an epidemic, then we don't have time to set it up. So government is crucial. Hmm. But government outright producing it, um, that's a good question. I, I can see a few situations in which you may want government facilities able to produce it, but producing it on a day-to-day basis for uh, commercial consumption, I think government uh, would have a very
3: hard time competing with uh,
6: with companies on the price point. And you and that's could – yeah.
3: You could see like with vaccines, something like that, there, there needs to just be a really strong partnership. But then you also see when we went through our hurricane season, not only Puerto Rico, but Houston, Texas and Florida and all of these other places were so impacted by it that um, there are other needs, right? Meta, I mean, we, then the, I guess the Red Cross comes in. But yeah, you make a great point that it's such a massive enterprise that, it. yeah, you can't beat government. <laughs> at their ability to move stuff and, and, and have the authority instantly to, to make something happen. What what can we, the rest of us, do to make sure that, um, you know, we're protected going forward? How do we, I mean, this is kind of a global issue and this is a, a really high level problem. Um, is there anything that we just can do in our own neighborhoods and our own lives to make sure we're protected?
6: Well, yes. The The first thing is to uh, is to get vaccinated. And uh, so when it comes to the flu, for example, there are things we can't get vaccinated for, but um, for influenza, we can. And part of the reason why this year, the influenza uh, outbreak was so large, significantly larger than it was last year, uh, was because it was a strain of the flu that hasn't come up recently. So a lot of people didn't have immunity. And actually the vaccine this year wasn't geared towards this particular strain. So, um, I'm seeing a lot of sort of pushback. You know, well, I got vaccinated, but I got the flu anyway. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, that's true. But one thing to know is that even if the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting sick, we know now that the vaccine um, makes the symptoms significantly uh, uh, better in, in a sense. Like, you don't get as sick. Right. Um, you're much less likely to get life threatening symptoms from it and so on. Um, and so, there is this, unfortunately, this movement against vaccinations, particularly in the United States and in, in northern and western Europe, that really isn't quite warranted. And when you look at just what happened this year, I can see, well, why, what's the point of getting the flu vaccine? Because I got sick anyway, even though I got it. And there are lots of people who didn't get the vaccine who didn't get sick. Um, but it's a, little bit, it's a little bit like the lottery in that sense. Like yeah. you see somebody win it, you're more likely to play it. But if nobody around you wins the lottery, you're, more, you're less likely to play it. Well, we can't, at our individual level, see the movements of influenza or diseases or global crises. Um, you, you have to trust in vaccinations and that there are thousands of medical professionals around the United States and the world who are dedicated to making sure that we are the best protected as we can. And they all almost entirely unanimously um, propose that we get the vaccinations, not just for the influenza, but for, for other diseases as well.
3: So true. And uh, we also, you know, that's, we, we need to do it together and that makes overall health for all of us better the more of us are involved in that, the more of us that are doing that. So, Morton, thank you so much. Morton Wendelbo is his name. Again, he is a research fellow at the Scowcroft Institute of International Affairs and a faculty member at Texas A&M University. His research focuses on disaster preparedness and response, domestic and international uh, uh, disasters as well. And we appreciate his, uh, his time and his his interesting insight into that. So do what you can do, right? I mean, I do know people that in their 24-hour kits, they do have some medical supplies. I even know people that have saline solution and saline IVs, but they also know how to give those IVs. Um, so don't think, you know, you just only have to depend on the government. but. The government could be better at it. All of us can be better at, at preparing and, and making our lives a little bit safer. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're doing what we can to help you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, everybody has a price. Everybody has a number that you would, uh, you know, uh, Hiram Smith used to say cross the I-beam for. So if I put a big metal I-beam, still I-beam between the Sears Towers, what would I have to pay you to cross it?
5: There's a show on Netflix called The Push. Oh, really? The idea is these people will try to convince an individual to do something they don't want to do.
3: And and everyone will have a price. What's right? your price? Yeah, that's the whole show. And so <laughs> Terry's found some research done on millennials about what what's their price. I found this on uh, CNBC just so I could. Yeah, you know, it's not for me. No, you just
4: found now, it. No, Jeff, how you old didn't are, even you happened upon it. How old are you, Jeff? I'm 34. He's a millennial, mm, okay.
5: about to well, be 35. Well, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really help much, uh, though. They're uh, sometimes labeled as lazy and entitled. Millennials are actually making significant sacrifices in order to get ahead in their careers, taking on piles of student debt, living at home, and uh, for uh, for what, foregoing getting a place of their own are just a few of the ways millennial generation are trying to make ends meet, save money plan for the future. Yeah. So it says, when financial services company Comet surveyed uh, 364 single-employed uh, millennials without children, so single-employed millennials without children, they found that the relationship were another area, 20 to 36-year-olds, he's a millennial, <laughs> the, he's were a willing millennial. to cut back. In fact, 41% said they would end a relationship for a promotion. Really?
3: 41% would end a relationship. Four out of 10... Millennials would say they would end a relationship if it would get them a promotion. Yeah. Wow. Millennials are so focused on career advancement
5: that respondents admitted that they would be willing to stay single for 11 years, delay marriage for seven years, and put off having kids for eight if it meant getting ahead at work.
3: Really? So big life choices. I didn't didn't know millennials were that that into getting promoted. Yeah. They (laughs) They would go 11 years without... Stay single for 11, delay marriage for seven, and put
4: off kids for eight. Wow. Hmm. But a lot of that just happens without, you know, hoping for it. Right. But they would say
5: they'd make a logical choice. They'd make a That's interesting. They'd make a choice. This is what my plan is for the future. But a willingness to sacrifice for their career does not mean millennials won't compromise. A whopping 86% of respondents said they would move to another city if their beloved was
3: offered a better job. Really? 86% would move. But, but the funny thing is apparently
4: most of them don't have a beloved. Well, I think one of I think they're all waiting to get a better job first. I, I think when interviewed one of them said I wasn't even planning on moving out of my mom's house for 10 years.
5: <laughs> when it comes to getting a raise millennials were similarly willing to sacrifice almost a third said they would end a relationship for a raise. These workers on average said that 36 a $36,000 raise would convince them to put off having a relationship. Hmm. really, 3,000 a month, hmm. and you're like, I'm done with you. So when I read this to my wife last night, she went, huh. I went, wait, what are you <laughs> I talking she's about? she's thinking, oh, no. <laughs> she's running the numbers. She huh. goes, no, no, no. She goes, I'm married now, but when I was single.
3: That's interesting. Isn't that wild? I mean, and boy, I I think you need to be married to get Progress going in a lot of these things. So oh, I grew up yeah, right. in an era where you get married and that was one of the steps, everything. right? Yeah. And you, I ended up getting more promotions as I'd have more kids because I had more people to feed, so I worked harder. Hmm. But.
5: And they're doing it the other way. They're just going to put all that yeah. off until they have all that they're, they're at
3: least willing to. I, see, I wouldn't have been willing to do that.
5: It says, however, convincing millennials to put off getting married and having kids is significantly more expensive. Respondents said an average raise of 64000 a year would be enough to postpone getting hitched, and 67000 a year would be enough to delay
3: starting a family. Hmm. Man. Well, I, maybe what the problem is, is we apparently haven't made marriage very attractive. Well, there's that. I mean, maybe that's where it, we've let them down as It parents. is, what, the 50% rate? Yeah.
5: For divorce? So it seems kind of trivial at here's, times.
3: Here's, I think, the, one of the dilemmas with the millennials is their parents are sitting there saying, no, 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 Do not get married until you have a good job. Mm-hmm. So it might be the parents' fault that the millennials are thinking like this, right? Like, don't get married until, because so a lot of them are saying that. Mm-hmm. Don't get married until you have your degree. Don't get married until you have a good job, Till you're established. Right.
5: Cause... Their parents have probably, maybe they had struggles, yeah. and they don't see the benefit of the struggles. They don't want their kids to have a struggle, and they really want them out of their house. <laughs> that would probably be a bigger thing, because, I mean, if you're living in the mom's, in mom's house yeah. with the current job you have, and then yeah. you get married, does, does, yeah. does the couple just move into the basement?
3: That's kind of weird. Mom, I'm in love with Timmy, and I think we're going to, no, shush. <laughs> no. No. You are going to get a job and get promoted. Give up, Timmy. Timmy's not good for you.
5: Well, Timmy might be working at the you know, fast food place down the street, not yeah. necessarily have that job you want I, to have. Timmy's got student that, I think
4: you're just saying that because his name is Timmy. I don't know why I always use Timmy. I used to use Jeff,
3: and then you when you joined the show, I couldn't use it anymore. But Timmy's again, have
4: other jobs other than fast
3: food clerk. Yeah. But again, according to this financial
5: services company, they define a millennial as right now being between the ages of 20 and 20. And 36. Yeah, Jeff's age. Which means if you're within those those parameters, you will never escape that label. You will always be a millennial.
3: Wow. We have a lot of millennials in the audience today. Yeah, yeah well, we trend younger on this show. But I am glad that we finally have solidified the fact that Jeffrey is a millennial.
5: You're
1: wrong.
3: He yeah. always says he's a zenial. Yeah. He's trying
5: to join the group I'm in, mm-hmm. and it's just not working. Wrong. He's just too young. He's too, uh, what is it, inexperienced? Yeah. Kind of that. Wrong. Youth,
1: youthful.
3: Yeah. Making bad decisions, you taking on monster. unnecessary debt. <laughs> so much fun. See, we're helping you not only understand millennials, we're helping you put a label on an entire generation. <laughs> and now we know. I'm X, generation, Terry, Zenial, and Jeffrey, millennial. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll continue to uh, bring you the good in the world right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Hey, uh, have you ever pulled up to a red light and just had to sit there and sit there, you know, maybe at night and nobody's there? Yeah, maddening. Well, apparently in Utah, they're creating a new law that might change some of that. So
5: uh, lawmakers considering giving Utah drivers a green light to run red lights at times of extremely low travel when no other cars are present after coming to a full stop. So treat it as a stop sign. That is great. The safe on red bill, not the run a red light bill. They're making clear that's the name of it here. So they're uh, they're pushing forward with this. There's been they have a couple incidents here where people sat there. He goes, I decided to run the red light even though nobody was there. A the police officer saw him and gave him a ticket. He fought it in court, but the judge told him there is a no common sense. There is no common sense measure to this law. You ran a red light. So you get the ticket and pay the fine, he said. If you don't like it, I suggest you get with your representative. So he did. Hmm. Good for him. The citizens out there doing that. Uh, The Department of Transportation is opposed to the bill, says we're concerned about telling people it's okay to go through a red light. Um, uh, The spokesperson adds that about half of all urban crashes occur at intersections, including 36% of all fatalities. Yeah. Hmm. And then they start talking about the advanced traffic system. Nobody cares bah, bah, about the traffic bah. lights. Come on. So they're, uh, the the so the house has already approved uh, a bill allowing bicyclists to run red light yeah. in the state of Utah. Hold on. Why can they do it? Well,
3: they're, they're even
5: less protected, and they can treat stop signs as yield signs. Oh, come on. Right. So in small intersections, not involving multi lane roads, maybe it has and all something this. to do so with the poundage.
3: Might be. I mean, a car weighs, what, 3,000 pounds? <laughs>
5: when my first child was born, we had to race across the valley at, well, it was like two o'clock in the morning. Race? Yeah. My wife's water broke yeah. at home. No, no. She went into labor for several hours, didn't know it was labor because first yeah, child wasn't some, sure yeah, what was going know. on. And then she goes, I think we better go. And so we, we you know, and I'm new father, so I'm like, heading, I, and we new. ran every red light across the valley. See? It was 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I don't care. You were fine. Blew right through. Because then then there was that that scene where the cop pulls you over and go, my wife's pregnant. And he, like, gives you the the, escort to the hospital. By the way, fire trucks
3: run red lights and they don't just run a red light. They stop, clear, and then go. You're not safe if a car's coming. No. I mean, I, when I was working on an ambulance in college, I about died in an ambulance because people don't hear you. So you stop at every light still. You clear it, and then with prudence, you go. So that's all this law would say is, this is you stop and clear it, yeah. and then you can go.
5: This is something that could work across the, the nation because there's always times where you yeah. stop there and there's nobody there. Maybe there needs to it's be a safe. time go frame. The-
3: like after midnight, you're allowed to... I don't know. They'll start it some way like that. Well, at least uh, maybe that's progress, but it scares people still. Doing what we can, folks, to uh, give you some hope that someday you'll be able to run a red light legally. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives.